Welcome to the home stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with you live in studio until 10 p.m. Kyle is behind the glass, and we have a huge show for you. Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, will join us in just a moment at 7.10. Eli Manning, yes, Eli Manning joins at 7.45. I had a really fun interview with Eli earlier this morning. Very excited for you guys to hear myself and Eli talk. Uh, I bring up Steve Spagnuolo. Obviously, Steve Spagnuolo was the defensive coordinator on that 07-08 Super Bowl winning team that Eli Manning was the quarterback of. So I wanted to get his thoughts on Steve Spagnuolo as well as his matchups against Andy Reid in the dreaded NFC East back in the day. So Eli Manning joins us at 745. Jeremy Guthrie, the real Jay Guts, joins at 8, talking Royals, new stadium, his career. Um, Very excited for Jeremy Guthrie at 8 o'clock. Nick Lowry, Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry, joins around 830 and then Josh Briscoe joins at 9. It's a big show. Huge show. Star-studded. Yeah, it's Briscoe at 9, right? That's 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 the one. <laughs> I was giving him a hard time, and he goes, Eli Manning has the arm. Jeremy Guthrie has the arm. Nick Lowry has the leg. And he goes, but I got both. <laughs> I thought he was going to say the hair, maybe. <laughs> the hair, maybe. Could be. Could be. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of stuff to get into. A little Chiefs news as we go through the injury report. Noah Gray was a DNP with an illness. Nick Bolton still recovering from that ankle was a DNP. Chris Jones with his groin was a limited participant. Canarius Tony with that toe was an LP, whilst everyone else was a full participant. Canarius Tony's a little intriguing to me. Um, only played a, what was it, two snaps? Two snaps. Two snaps on Sunday. Obviously, they did not need Canarius Tony. But that also means he wasn't put into the first 15, right? We even saw Justin Ross. Justin Ross, believe it or not, was the first target from the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. Well, he got fizzled out as the game went on, but Kadarius Toney really didn't see any of the field besides those two snaps. I'm assuming a lot of that was, hey, we don't need him. Let's see if he gets right, gets healthy. But part of me also wonders, he's not shown much this year. We know about the athletic, uh, the athleticism. We know about the potential. We know about the electric return in the Super Bowl. But at some point, last year was last year. If you're struggling to catch the rock or get open in 2023, doesn't matter what you did in 2022 or the beginning part of 2023, you ain't going to see the field. So part of me hopes this is just the cautiousness of the toe injury. And the other part of me says, has Rasheed Rice, Justin Watson, MVS, and Sky Moore garnered the trust of the coaching staff and Patrick Mahomes more so than Kadarius Toney? Rasheed Rice coming off his best game, one of his best games. I think his first touchdown in the NFL might go down as his best game. But five receptions, seven targets. He would like to have that last one back. It was interesting. His first target of the game was one I think he might like to have back as well, where 
could have probably found the soft spot, but didn't. And then obviously the last one where Blaine Gabbert threw it. Maybe just Blaine Gabbert's arm strength was just too strong. That's clearly, that, that's, what, that's clearly what we're going with yeah. you now. Mahomes can't hum it in there the way that old Blaine Gabbert can. Those Missouri QBs have cannon. <laughs> Backup QB you, baby. Come on. But if you're going to drop a pass and it turns into an interception, I will say there's not a better time than when your team has put up 41 points and the other team, uh, well... Has not. I can't get over the Chiefs actually having a game where I sat back and was so calm. When was the last time you remember the Chiefs were supposed to crush a team? Let's look back to last year. Supposed to crush the hapless Houston Texans. Supposed to destroy the Denver Broncos, the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts. And what happens? You're white-knuckling the game. The Chiefs took care of business. They did it early. They did it often. And those weren't nervous beers I I was drinking. Those were celebration beers I was drinking. Okay? We weren't sitting here going, oh my gosh, come on. All right, if this gets to a three-point game, I got a shotgun. No, we didn't have any of that. And by the way, drink responsibly, kids. Not kids, adults. 21 plus, come on. You know what I'm talking about. I can't remember the last time the Chiefs played a game where they were supposed to beat a team that badly, and they did. The last time they dismantled a team like that, I almost think it was the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, 44-23. I expected that to be a closer game than it was. Yeah, this was one of the first times that I can remember where the Chiefs just did what they were truthfully supposed to do. You know, they saw Miami destroy the Sean Payton-led Denver Broncos, which I obviously love to see Sean Payton eat his words. Very, uh, Very intriguing, entertaining to me. Maybe they saw the Miami Dolphins and said, hey, you know what? We got to make sure we get some love, too. Okay, yeah, the Dolphins put up a 70 spot. Let's make sure Kansas City here, they don't forget. The AFC Invitational still runs through Kansas City. Before we go to break and bring on Daniel Harms, imagine trading draft capital for a head coach. Now, imagine said head coach called out the previous coaching regime, basically saying they were a dumpster fire, the horrendous coaching staff, no way Russell Wilson, or a quarterback who was probably going to be in the Hall of Fame just fell off a cliff that quickly, how you were going to turn this thing around. Now, of course that guy didn't get a very large contract and then get a 70 spot put on his dome by a former Broncos ball boy, right? Denver Broncos, down bad. (laughs) Who's down worse, the Broncos or the Bears? Don't answer that. It's probably the Jets. Chiefs play the Jets coming up. They have two more games left for the Broncos. Chiefs schedule, looking okay. We'll take a quick break. Come back. We'll be joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, right here. Sports Radio 810 WHB.
Welcome back to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Daniel Harms, film analyst at RGR Football. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at InHarmsWay19 for some of the best Chiefs coverage out there. Daniel, how are you? Oh, man, I'm on, actually on the IR at the moment. I strained my neck a week ago. It's been a pain. I can't do much looking around. It's, I'm on muscle relaxers. and uh, <laughs> So right now, I'm not in the best shape uh, body-wise, but mentally, I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, you're on muscle relaxers, huh? This is going to be a fun show. Oh, they don't really, you know, I'm, I'm heavy, so it takes a lot to even, like, phase my mental state. So sure. unfortunately, they don't get... They don't get you to that point when you're at my stage. Hey, hey, hey that's great, Daniel. I'm still going to have Kyle, our producer, very quick on the dump button, just in case. Okay. Now, I will... Honestly, that's, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> With the Chiefs dismantling of the Bears, 41-10, to 10, I think a lot of the... I don't know. I don't know. You would say detractors, the skeptics, if you will, say, "Okay, that's great. The Chiefs' defense has looked really, really good so far, but they beat the hapless Bears, right? Justin Fields is brutal. He's horrendous. The coaching is bad. The offensive line is a debacle. And then you look and say, "All right, yeah, they did their job." But the Lions don't look like the same Lions that folks thought they were going to be. That's not the same top five in DVOA yards and points per game that they were last year. They're struggling. Then you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, they're in the same boat, right? The Indianapolis Colts are actually leading the AFC South right now. And it looks like the Jaguars can't get off the ground. Now, what would you say to those detractors? So, I think our biggest... Our biggest thing we have to look at is that the Chiefs are a team, typically an offense, that require rhythm. Opening the season against the Lions, they came in through change-ups at what the, you know, at what the Chiefs were expecting. Offense or defensively, for example. They play 70% zone when they're typically a man-heavy defense, and that's what the Chiefs expected. So you get a curveball for your game plan, and then you have to try to adjust on the fly. That didn't turn out so well for them. And then against the Jaguars, uh, again, they have a lot of mental miscues, guys misinterpreting their routes and just unable to get anything going. So I think the simple fact that we have now seen the Chiefs' offense move the ball consistently, regardless of against who it's against, that's the main focus of this game. It was never supposed to be you're going to be in a dogfight because it's the Chicago Bears. No, this is the game where you can work on your offense, on the things that you want to get right. They've played a ton of the exact same concepts, inside zone, outside zone. They ran a lot of the same passing concepts, especially because you saw Rasheed Rice take those intermediate benders over the middle of the field and sit down in the zone at least four different times. That's him working on that communication, that timing with Patrick Mahomes. This game was always supposed to have been a blowout, right? And it was. It's really more focusing on what the Chiefs were able to do offensively to get back in their rhythm. And I actually just released my brand-new film room on RGR Football where I dissected an entire drive, an entire Chiefs scoring drive from, I believe it was the 10-yard line, all the way into the end zone, showing all the different things that they were able to do and how this is sustainable because of how they worked it and how they continued to get better and tried different things, Ian made it work and getting to the end zone. So that's really what this game was about for them is, again, getting back to the basics, getting the communication, the timing down, working with the younger receivers, and then finding a couple big plays, getting Travis involved, 
And really, they had everything working. That's that's what I would say to that. When it comes to the Chiefs' wide receivers, did we finally see a legitimate pecking order take place where you have Rasheed Rice, Justin Watts, and Sky Moore, MVS as your top four, and then Justin Ross and Kadarius Toney filling in sparingly? I know Justin Ross obviously got the first target of the game for Kansas City, but that's in the Andy Reid scripted first 15. As the game went on, he obviously was fizzled out of the game plan. Kadarius Toney, how much was it a... You know, he's not shown a lot this year. How much of it was a, you know, he's still dealing with that toe. Maybe we'll see those snap counts ramp up as the season progresses and he gets healthier. What did you see from the Chiefs wide receiver breakdown in this one? Yeah, this was, in my opinion, how the Chiefs offense should focus going forward. They want to spread the ball around. If you guys listened to the new Heights episode that dropped today, Travis was talking specifically about how they believe that spreading the ball around to everybody that's on the field at one point or another is how you continue to keep the defenses off their game. Obviously, Travis is going to get his. But you saw in Travis, Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, and even Justin Watson to an extent get anywhere from seven to four targets on the day. That's that's distribution. Then you have Jerick McKinnon getting involved in the passing game. He catches two touchdown passes. He gets a third and seventh converted as well. Noah Gray continuing to find work. All of this to say, I do believe the pecking order is being resolved because I'm going to say it right now. We have now established that Kadarius Tony's body is not up to what an NFL season requires. It's, now, his third year in the NFL, we have not seen sustained anything, and his body has continued to form injury after injury. Whether it's minor or not, that ceases to really matter. If you can't be on the field to get that chemistry, other players are going to do it instead. Rasheed Rice, Sky Moore, Justin Watson, and even MBS and uh, Justin, uh, Justin Ross, to an extent, have gotten on the field more recently than Kadarius Tony have, and that's just how it's going to be. So, I still think the bulk of the the work is going to go to the top four guys that we, we've talked about, and then you get sprinkling in of Kadarius Tony when he's healthy, as well as Justin Ross in some packages here or there. But those main four receivers right now have really separated themselves, in my mind, from everybody else. Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR football, joining us right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. You brought up Jarek McKinnon. I'd like to talk about him just a little more. This is what he does. He's 31 now. He's going to be 47 years old at some point, still being an absolute (laughs) red zone menace. But he is so good as a pass protector, so good as a receiving back, and he is so good in the end zone when the yardages shrink, when the playbook shrinks, he steps up. He has that special connection of knowing where to be, right? I believe, was he a quarterback in high school? I remember he talked about it one time, how he sees the game from a quarterback's viewpoint, Mm -hmm. and it shows in how he finds these soft spots in the defense, how he's able to manipulate cornerbacks and defensive backs to get open. What have you seen from Jarek McKinnon and what makes him so special in these red zone situations? Honestly, the Chiefs should just sign this guy to a lifetime contract at this point. Like, he should just never leave. He should always be the third running back on the roster, and that's a perfect role for him. There's injuries everywhere anyway in every running back room in the NFL, and Jarek right now just getting that work in just as the third guy, whether it's on some of the run plays in the passing game, just continuously be in Kansas City for as long as he wants to play. But what it comes down to for me is that he has, much like Travis Kelsey does, this innate ability, this innate sense that Patrick Mahomes has to be exactly where he wants him to be. 
whether it's on checkdowns, whether it's running up the field, like against Denver last year where he's on this wheel route and he's, he's Patrick escaping. So instead of stopping and trying to find his own, he runs all the way downfield. He's like, I feel nothing but space. Like that's, he has a lot of what receivers that Patrick Mahomes wants. He has all of that, the ability to sit in zone, find empty spaces. And then at the end of the day, he does still have that speed to take some of these big plays all the way down to the end zone. And when you have someone who understands what not just the quarterback wants, the coaching staff wants, and you can come in and always be a safety valve, it's that trust that the entire team staff has in him. So what we're seeing from Jack McKinnon, who continues to put up a ton of touchdown numbers. He might get to double digits again this year. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. He's going to get to double digit touchdowns this year and just continuously churn out production. It's incredible what he's able to do. And honestly, you know, what he's been able to stay healthy, you know, knock on wood for this Chiefs, the Chiefs offense has really revived his career. A lot of people thought he was done, that he was never going to be able to stay healthy. But like I said, as that second or third running back, he has found his role in the NFL, and that's why I, I, I want to see him stay in Kansas City until he is done playing football. At 31 years old, with minimum wear that he's getting with this three-back rotation that the Chiefs have right now, um, I think it's perfect for him, and he's really shining in that safety, safety valve role. And they drew up that second, uh, that first, uh, it was at least, I believe it was his second touchdown, where they have Rasheed Rice running a pick play just to nick that corner or that linebacker that's in man coverage on him, just to give him a half step on linebacker. All you're trying to do is get four yards in the end zone. I broke down that play on my uh, film review as well. So they they just kind of understand how to use him. He understands how to use the offense to his benefit as well. And it's really flourishing and making this Chiefs offense what it has been over the last few seasons. Uh, 31-year-old former San Francisco running backs are looking pretty good in the NFL right now <laughs> with Jerry McKinnon and Raheem Mostart as he just went off yeah. down there in Miami. I want to talk about the running backs, but also in regards to the offensive line, okay? Because this Chiefs offensive line, we know the interior three, they are very good pass and run blocking. The tackles, which we'll talk a little bit more in detail later on in the segment, but they are known as pass protectors and they struggle in run block situations, right? Now, the Chiefs have two running backs, Isaiah Pacheco and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who are more um, up-the-gut runners, if you will. They're, n- they're not great going horizontally, right? They're more north-south. That is the way they should be used, especially when the Chiefs face a lot of light boxes, especially compared to other teams around the NFL. Now, I am not saying I am smarter than Andy Reid. Andy Reid just put up a 41 spot against an NFL team. He has two Super Bowls. Uh, Surprisingly, Daniel, I have zero as a head coach. But my question to you is it feels like we see a lot of horizontal running from this Kansas City Chiefs team when all signs all signs, the offensive line, the running backs themselves, and the light boxes that the Chiefs face all signs point to the Chiefs being more effective running up the gut, yet we don't see that. We see more horizontal. Why do you think that is? This is all about sequencing. The Chiefs will run outside zone out of shotgun to continue to keep defenses on their toes. It's not a successful run play by any stretch, and I'll explain to you very quickly. Running backs like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire cannot change direction from his shoulder pads and facing the end zone, if you will, to that backside gap. It's impossible for him to get there. So every time we see a clip of him missing a gigantic cutback lane in outside zone, 
because he can't get there. And by the time he does get there, he's going to get tackled at the line of scrimmage. So all of that is to say what the Chiefs do with these outside zone runs is they set up play actions. They set up those jet motions. They'll bring a jet motion the opposite direction, and they will also run outside zone play action fakes or um, some of those RPOs the opposite way. So what you're trying to do is get those linebackers moving, much like they did with the pitch to Jarek McKinnon that ended up being a toss back to Patrick Mahomes against the Bears. All that is doing is trying to move the linebackers and the defense the direction of the running back and where the offensive line is going. If you can get them to commit there, you can find a way to pull that ball back or pull it out, throw the opposite direction or throw away from the movement of the defense. And they're not going to be successful plays. If they get two to three yards out of it at a time, that's a win for the offense. But For me, personally, from what I've seen, it comes down to sequencing. And what that is, if you you guys don't know, it's running plays to set up other plays later in the game. They can't just throw it out of their book as much as I would love them to because outside zone out of shotgun, it just doesn't work for these running backs. If you want to do outside zone, do it from under center. You can still get that movement, and it doesn't force the running backs to turn to the sideline completely. But at the end of the day, I know Andy Reid knows way more than I do. Uh, like you said, way more about football than I do and than I ever will. So I'll leave it up to him. But my understanding is that the sequencing for later in the game is why they do it. Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR Football, joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Now, Creed Humphrey has been the great center as always. Joe Tooney, outside of like one penalty, has been the same great left guard, the Iron yeah. Man as always. Trey Smith has been a little up and down, but I think that's been part of Trey Smith so far in his Kansas City career. You see a lot of the great highlights, but he does have a few up and down games or at least in the game itself you'll see him have a bad snap or two but then you go to the tackles and this is where my concern lies Juwan Taylor is on an extremely large contract I had my concerns of him when he came in and signed that deal I said that is a bleep ton of money to pay for a right tackle he better be Lane Johnson well he's trying to get Lane Johnson jumps the only issue is Juwan Taylor has eight penalties so far that's not a hyperbole he has eight penalties so far now not all of them are fair some of the penalties against Juwan Taylor as Andy Reid tried to show in that game with some backup tackles it might be a little ref vendetta or vendetta against Juwan Taylor what have you seen from Juwan Taylor as a whole what does he need to do to get the refs off his back and how will this contract of four plus years or I guess three to four years play out I mean, on the field, outside of the penalties, Juwan Taylor has been as advertised. He's been a fantastic pass blocker. You know, he's not the best run blocker, but that's why they run zone plays and a lot of these outside zones, inside zone plays where he doesn't have to really push guys vertically up the field and get movement. It allows him to push on these diagonal lines that the Chiefs run with the, with their zone and just keep a body in front of them. So everything he's done well in his career as a blocker He's been really good at, and honestly, I think he's gotten better this year as a pass protector. He really put work in against Aiden Hutchinson in week one. He was excellent in week two against whoever he played against. He had a couple of um, a miss, you know, minor mishaps, but it was, it's not like he's letting up a ton of pressures. He's really been in a, kind of a lockdown pass protection right tackle for the Chiefs. And then, you know, I think mentally he's trying to figure out what the NFL wants from him. Because if you go back and watch the game, 
he and Donovan Smith are almost like neck and neck with exactly where they're lining up. And they're calling to on Taylor, not Donovan Smith. <laughs> if you look around the league, the best tackles in the NFL – even not some of the best tackles in the NFL are doing this as well, and they're not getting called. This is not, again, not, not hyperbole. Lane Johnson, Trent Williams, all of some of the best tackles in the NFL have been doing this and are doing this. And then you see some of the ways that other teams are getting away, getting away with it. Instead of just the tackles, well, let's bring the guards back too. They're not going to call it on all of us, and you see it a lot where they don't do it. So whatever's going on right now with the NFL and Juwan Taylor, that needs to resolve itself. But until it does, until they take responsibility and start calling it on other players, he might just have to bump up a little bit in his alignment. He's not going to get beat off the line by some of these fast guys because his get-off is that good. You guys have seen the slowdowns of him getting off the ball. It's lined up exactly when Creed Humphrey moves that football. So uh, at the end of the day, it's more, for me, it's in in his head a little bit. And it's going to continue to do that until, I mean, until the NFL and the the officials are held responsible for what they're doing. It does feel like he's being targeted. and, And until he's being not targeted anymore, he does have to give in just a little bit to allow the pressure, not just on him, but on the referees to continue to call it, subsides. And, again, he's got a great get-off, a great back step, a great first you know, drive-catch technique. What that is is you drive off with your left foot as a right tackle and you catch with your, your right foot, and that's what they call drive-catch uh, drive technique. So he's great at that. He's going to continue to be good at that. And, like I said, he's been worth the money on the field as a pass protector, which is really why you, they paid him in the first place. So get his head right, and everything's going to be fine, in my opinion, going forward. Yeah, you know, the first one against him in, in that uh, Chicago game, I thought was, okay, come on, man, that was legitimately, you're too far back, you, you got to be better. Yeah. Second one, though, he moved up. He was not off the yeah, line of scrimmage. Did. And again, maybe I'm... Um, I had a bad view. Maybe I couldn't tell. Maybe I'm I'm blind or something. But it sure enough, looked like he was in the line. The one that ended up being a touchdown that was called back to MVS. Yeah. You know, I don't know what more he can do because he is moving up. You think the refs too, to an extent, would say, "Hey, I can see him trying to make sure he's okay." I will give him the benefit of the doubt. Instead, they did not. And then you see a game later on in in the same week, the Cincinnati Bengals. The center is the only guy who was lined up yeah. correctly. The all four or four of the other guys, the guards and the tackles, are so far back. You, a Boeing 747 could fit between those guys. It was absurd, yet that's not called. I would just like some mm-hmm. consistency, and I think that's what a lot of folks around the NFL and the Kennedy Chiefs, and especially Andy Reid and Jawan Taylor would like, is some sort of consistency in regards to this rule. Now let's switch over to Donovan Smith. What have you seen from Donovan so far? Oh, Donovan's been a kind of an extremely mixed bag. His contract is, well, there's a reason that he won, was on the market, and that his contract was what it was. He was doing a great job, I think, establishing himself in the preseason, um, getting in, but he wasn't in the game very long. And we're seeing right now some really big inconsistencies in his play. He's also being penalized at a high rate, and it's right, there's a lot of room for improvement. He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. It's going to hopefully get better. He's still a good run blocker, a good pass protector. You see a lot of a lot more lapses on his ability because right now, a couple injuries in, he doesn't have that get-off, that drive catch with his left foot. It's, it's a little bit 
behind some of the faster players in the NFL. And I think that's what we're seeing is that you go back to the Jags game, they really decided to rush Josh Allen more against Donovan Smith and bring the powerful guy in Trayvon Walker over and rush him against Juwan Taylor a little bit more. That's where Juwan has a little bit more of his, his pass protection struggles is against raw power. And Donovan's not great against speed. So there's, some, like I said, some inconsistencies with his ability. He seems to miss blocks sometimes, miscommunications on the interior with who, if he's going to be getting the guy that's in that gap, that B gap, or if he's going to be blocking outside. It's, like I said, it could be a lot better. It's a mixed bag for him right now. But it is a one-year contract. And I'm not going to say that he is not going to get better but going forward. I expect him to get better. He's a veteran, and they are going to continue to work on his. And you know, I believe Andy Heck is one of, if not the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. They're going to continue to work on it. But right now, the Chiefs are going to be in the market for a left tackle in 2024. Uh, that's just how it is. <laughs> uh, Daniel Horms, my guest right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Before we switch sides of the ball and talk about the defense, got to ask, who are you playing in fantasy football this week? Oh, man, I'm playing you. Um, and I got the doors blown off me last week because Raheem oh, – no, sorry, it wasn't even Raheem Mostert. It was a last-minute swap of the guy I was playing. Decided to play a Devon Etchen or Etchen, right? It's Etchen right now. He switched it to Etchen, not Etchen. It's, it's so, A-chan, yeah. I believe. A-chan? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. My apologies, Devon. I'll keep that pronounced correctly. Going Doesn't forward. matter who and it was. You got your ass kicked, me. pal. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I did. You got <laughs> doors blown off. Doors blown off. Man, it was not fun. A little bit like me versus you in the playoffs last year to knock you out. But that's okay. I don't want to dwell on that moment for you, since I know it's uh, it's a little soft spot for you, Daniel. I know it's a little soft spot for you. So let's talk about a non-soft spot. Chiefs defense. There are no soft spots. There are no weak links on this Chiefs defense. You've seen the emergence, the growth of George Karloffis. You see why Chris Jones is bleeping Chris Jones. Derek Noddy is back to what he once was younger in his career. You're seeing Mike Dana. Yes, Mike Dana consistently be this unsung man on the uh, Chiefs' defensive line. The linebacker group is just phenomenal. And, oh, yeah, the absolute depth and emergence of Trent McDuffie becoming a lockdown CB1. What have your thoughts been on this incredible rise from the defense? It's been just a pleasure and a privilege to watch what they've done. You know, they're the youngest defense in the NFL. And they run one of the more complex systems in the NFL with what Steve Spagnuolo wants to do, consistently changing the picture with all the exotic blitzes, the games now that they're running up front, moving defensive ends down to three tech, playing Chris Jones at defensive end. They still run games and stunts up front. And everything that they're able to do, they're doing it at a high rate. This is not like a team struggling to figure out what they're doing. It's all a lot of players that played last year, and they were young then. And that's what we're seeing the fruits of the drafting that you know, Brett Veach has done. And I believe in my heart of hearts that Joe Cullen has allowed Steve Spagnuolo to be more hands-on with the defensive backs side of the ball because Joe Cullen has done such a great job with unlocking Mike Dana, George Karloftis, Chris Jones even, you know, had his career year last year, and he's clearly uh, out to have another one, even missing week one. 
and, and just all the players that they have, I believe in Joe Collin to continue to improve with you know, Felix and Udike Uzama. All of those guys are really in good hands. So it's allowed Spags to just kind of get crazy with their linebacker, with their, their, excuse me, the secondary. And Trent McDuffie is not just a lockdown corner. He is heavily involved in the run game and the blitz game. He blitzes all the time. He triggers downhill better than almost anybody on that defense outside of maybe Nick Bolton. He is so quick at recognizing when they're running the ball. He comes downhill. He's not afraid to get his nose dirty. And he wraps up. And then... He doesn't even have a pick yet, and yet he's still turning the ball over with forced fumbles. Hey, you, Daniel, i got to stop four. you j- just, to, just to help prove your point for one second, just to show you how complete Trent McDuffie is. Guess who's <laughs> leading the Chiefs in tackles? Got to be Trent McDuffie. It's Trent McDuffie. Guess who's leading the NFL, according to PFF, as a cornerback? That would be Trent McDuffie. Trent McDuffie has the highest cornerback ranking of anyone on PFF at 90.6, ahead of actually former Chief Kendall Fuller and Christian Gonzalez, who's been really, really good, and former K-Stater DJ Reed. Yes, McDuffie, locked down, forcing two fumbles, and leading the Chiefs in tackles. This dude does it all. Continue. He's so much fun to watch. And I, I know that a lot was made about you're Justin Fields, not getting rid of the ball. Go watch the Chiefs' defense on all 22. He had absolutely nowhere to go. Everybody was shutting down. They were just in great position. They were unable to shake Josh Williams. You know, Justin Reed had a fantastic game. And that's, and again, I know it's the Bears. <clears throat> I understand that. They're those kind of games are where fundamentals are the most important. And they were excellent across the board in pass defense. A couple of miscues on some run plays that you saw. You know, just Justin Fields is going to get you on a couple of them. But for the most part, they kept them held in check. And obviously, they're not going to run the ball at a high clip when they're down 30 with when they blink an eye. Like, it just – that's the kind of thing that happens sometimes. So, the whole defense right now, like I, I mentioned earlier, the, the youngest defense in the NFL, they fly around. They have true team speed, which is something we have not been able to say about this defense for quite some time. They have it everywhere. Um, just the effort that, that they give. George Karloftis has really been the poster child for that. But there is a play from Felix when he's in pass coverage, okay? He was dropped into pass coverage at least three or four times against the Bears, and Justin Fields takes off, <clears throat> and then Felix has the angle on him and his speed to get Justin Fields out of bounds is ridiculous. He's He's going to be a very fun player to watch going forward. So everything that the Chiefs have right now going for him on defense is continuing to show itself every single week, and it's just so much fun. So the Chiefs go from playing a dumpster fire to, well, maybe the Jets aren't a dumpster fire, but a trash can fire, slightly less than a dumpster fire. That is the Bears because the Jets, uh, their former Hall of Fame quarterback, Joe Namath, who's pretty calm, hardly calls anyone out, he doesn't really do this very often, called out Zach Wilson, basically saying, that guy is not the dude. Well, anyone with eyes can tell Zach Wilson's not that guy. But let's be real. That's the Hall of Famer Joe Namath calling him out. You don't see that happening. With Aaron Rodgers now calling out the rest of the team on the Jets saying, get it together, guys. Come on. Let's rally around. Can't hang your heads. What do you make of the Chiefs facing yet another disgruntled, horrendous franchise in the New York Jets? Oh, this is a... 
I'm not really sure what to make of it. Uh, Zach Wilson, might, again, might be the worst starting quarterback in the NFL right now. That's just putting it the way it is. He's just not able to really see what's going on. And they bring in Trevor Simeon over a lot of other options that might throw for more yards in that um, offense. But that screams to me that they want someone that's not going to turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. And maybe Trevor Simeon is, is going to be just more of the game manager type that they want eventually. I, I think that Zach starts this game on Sunday night football. I don't know if he finishes it because – what Steve Spagnuolo is going to end up doing, I, I fear a little bit for him because the offensive line's not great either. And whether or not Chris Jones is fully healthy and hopefully his groin injury is minor and he's able to play through it a little bit more than 16 snaps on Sunday night, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's going to be a, a very interesting defensive day because, again, that offense has some players. You know, Brees Hall is getting, getting, healthier he's not been the guy he was opening week but their offensive line has not been great you know Garrett Wilson is a fantastic wide receiver the Chiefs will have their hands full with him um but it's a little toothless when you don't have a quarterback that can distribute the football Garrett Wilson has been visibly frustrated with his role not getting the football in the end zone and you know he's got the targets but he's not been able to get in the end zone so we watched last week as Bill Belichick does what he does to young quarterbacks and inexperienced quarterbacks and not great quarterbacks. I think Steve Spagnuolo right now is the exact same level of coordinator in that he's going to continue to change the picture for these these quarterbacks, get after them with pressures and blitzes and winning or up front even with four. And this matchup is going to be mostly about – the Jets' defense against the Chiefs' offense. Mm. Not so much on the other side, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, at least Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts, because right now, Zach Wilson isn't seeing <laughs> anything right now. Let's be real. Uh, Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR Football. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at inharmsway19. And just in regards to Trevor Simeon here, Daniel, uh, yeah, you know, a 58.9% career completion percentage for uh, Trevor Simeon. Uh, averages just over 200 yards per game. 200.8, and a guy with 42 touchdowns to uh, 28 interceptions. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be the answer. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, you could have had Carson Wentz, though. I mean, <laughs> well, there's every- other quarterback options. <laughs> Daniel, everyone knows Denver is great. That 2015, 2016, 2017, hell, even now, ever since Peyton Manning, we all know Denver is the premier organization for identifying quarterback talent. Obviously, I mean, Paxton Lynch, right? We all remember that phase. (laughs) Daniel Harms, always, always, always a pleasure. Always, man. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the kind words. Take a quick break. Come back. We'll be joined by my interview I did with Eli Manning. Right after this, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Destroying Holmes with fan-sided and stacking the box here. Joined now by two-time Super Bowl champion Walter Payton, man of the year, and the better half of the Manning cast, Eli Manning. Eli, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, As we are getting into the NFL season, football brings the best food. And you can't have the best food without King's Hawaiian. What are you doing with those sweet, delicious rolls? Well, it's been it's been fun to partner up with Kings of Wine just because they've been part of our family and and been so bringing 
friends and family together, whether it's for a tailgate, whether it's for, you know, backyard barbecue, uh, or just kind of wrapping up a, a weekend with a Sunday, just having, you know, King's Hawaiian, um, rolls. And we've kind of created a new tradition called Slider Sunday in our family, where that's the Sunday where we're going to come together. Um, you know, have your King's Hawaiian sliders and, and, and the great part about it is you can customize them so many different ways, whether it's a, a turkey ranch slider or a sloppy joe, or you can do burgers, you can do just plain turkey for the kids and, um, you know, so many different options, kind of a, you know, almost like a grilled cheese on, on the slider, uh, bun. So, you know, it's, it's great, great options and really does a great job of bringing family friends together for a fun, a fun event. Yeah, whenever my fiance buys King's Hawaiian rolls, I know I'm in for a very, very good dinner. Uh, the helmet catch goes down in NFL history lore. It's up there with the immaculate reception and the like. Can you walk us through that moment when you knew David Tyree, uh, Tyree actually caught the ball? And now as you reflect years past, what is the emotion you still feel for that? Yeah, just a, just an unbelievable play by, by David and, and, um, you know, just stepping up in, into the moment. And he wasn't a guy who, uh, you know, had many catches that season or had many touchdowns, but he, he stepped up in critical moments of, of, of several games that year and made plays. So, um, yeah, it was, I didn't, I didn't know as I threw it, um, you know, kind of saw him, saw him, you know, Rodney Harrison hanging all over him. I didn't know if he caught it or not. The ball hit the ground and we had to review it. And I remember kind of going up to David before, you know, they, they showed the replay and, uh, he's, you know, he told me he caught it, but sometimes you can't listen to receivers. They often tell me they're wide open and they're not wide open. So I was like, come on, did you really catch it? Did it hit the ground? Any chance? Like, you know, we, if you, if it did, let it, let me know now so I can prepare. We're going to have a fourth and four, you know, to go. If you it did catch it, then we got time and, uh, to get, you know, to get a first down play. But, um, sure enough, he caught it. And at the moment, you didn't really have time to analyze and to, appreciate what a great catch it was because we had to still figure out how to score a touchdown to win this Super Bowl. But, um, you know, later that night, got to watch the replay over and, and this and seen it thousands of times since uh, uh, and every time just amazed that he was able to hold on to that ball. Yeah. What is the mindset for you in the playoffs and the Super Bowl? Because the game shifts, right? You're always told, college to preseason, preseason to regular season, regular season to playoffs and playoffs to the Super Bowl. The speed is different. You were known as a clutch performer. How do you have to tell yourself to slow down? What do you do differently? Do you do anything differently? What's it like in those big moments? I think you just got to let the moment come to you and, and you can't, you know, all of a sudden get in the biggest game of your life and say, well, I got to play my best and I got to I got to, you know, make every great throw and I, you know, I can't make a mistake. Like you can't get into that uh situation. You just got to, you know, you got to let the game come to you. Understand, make good decisions, trust your training, what you, you know, trust your preparation that you've been going through and, you know, just say if if they, you know, if the if the play calls for you to take a check down to the running back, do it. If the hey, if you got an open post route on a go, you know, don't take a shot down the field, throw it, but don't force it. Don't think you have to throw, you know, throw a certain, you know, a certain throw or a certain pass just because that's what was called. You know, make sure they're open and make sure you're kind of waiting for the game to come to you a little bit. 
Yeah, uh, I'm sitting here in Kansas City, so this question is not completely off the rails here. I want to give you a little background, but you went up against Andy Reid a lot in the NFC East. Seeing him have this incredible uh, incredible success, especially now in the playoffs, especially with the Kansas City Chiefs, what was it like for you back then going up against an Andy Reid-led team? And what have you seen from him now just growth-wise, being able to get over the hump and get those Super Bowls? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he, he's one of the great coaches and, uh, you know, competed against him for a number of years. He coached me up in a Pro Bowl uh, year, years ago. So uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit and really just uh, appreciate the person that he is, the coach. I think he's one of the most, um, you know, incredible offensive-minded coaches and coming up with schemes, letting letting uh, players improvise, let them, but it's got to be controlled somewhat, but giving them some freedom to do double moves and to, um, to, you know, uh, suggest, you know, give suggestions and ideas. And so I think he's done, done a great job. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's fun to watch on, on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, you were the kryptonite to Tom Brady. That's always what, what it's been called, right? You, you got the better of him in, in the Super Bowls. You, you were the kryptonite as a man in Kansas City. Feels like Joe Burrow might be the kryptonite to Patrick Mahomes. Do you feel that's the case? And how mentally advantageous is it when you feel like you have a guy or a team's number? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, one of those deals where, where Cincinnati's, you know, they're, they're a talented team and, you know, so is Kansas City, but both, both great teams and you get them both in the AFC. They're going to have to see each other in playoffs. And because they're usually winning, you know, winning their division, they're going to see each other in the regular season each year. So it, that's where some of these great rivalries come into. In football is when you just got two, two really talented teams and two of the better quarterbacks. And so, um, you know, it, it's, a, it'll flip and flop just cause you, you know, it happens, you know, two, two or three years in a row. Doesn't mean it's going to be that way the, the whole time. There's going to be ebbs and flows and it's going to get reversed and, and things will happen, but it, it, it makes for exciting TV, uh, when you kind of create those, those storylines. So as a quarterback, when you see some of the things Mahomes does, does part of you say, what the bleep are you doing? That is not how you're taught. This is not what you're supposed to do. The next thing you know, like, uh, again, on Sunday, he had a, just a crazy off-platform on the run that drop in the bucket to Justin Watson. I'm sure you're probably sitting there going, yeah, you, you don't get taught that growing up. Yeah, I, I couldn't even attempt that. That would be so bad. I don't, you know, ball would only go like 20 yards. And he throws it 43 yards right on a dime on the sideline. So, he, he, he's he's unbelievable, um, you know, and I think he's just kind of changed changed the way you can play quarterback and some of the throws he makes uh, off balance, back across your body, the sidearm throws. Uh, I mean, he he obviously works at it and he has the ability to make it. A lot of people you, you say don't make those throws because you don't you know most people don't have the ability to make that throw. You can't get enough on it um to to be you know to to get completed yet he he finds a way and he's able to do it and so uh credit to him and the and the coaching staff for saying well we, we got to create some drills so you practice these some because you have the ability to make them yeah growing up I'm sure you played backyard football like everyone else did you do all-time quarterback and if so was it you or Peyton well, Peyton's five years older than me, uh, so we, we, you know we didn't compete too much in the in the backyard. Or, but yeah, played a lot of lot of lot of you know backyard football, a lot of football at recess, 
And yes, I, I was the, for the most part, I was the permanent quarterback. Um, uh, and so that was just kind of the way, the way it worked out. Uh, actually when, when Peyton was playing, you know, when he was with, uh, his friends and, and they had an odd, uh, you know, an odd number, um, and, you know, they'd asked me to come in and play. I played permanent center. It's not as fun as permanent <laughs> quarterback. Uh, but at least I got to touch, touch the ball every play. So that was exciting. Uh, it feels like in recent years, interception numbers have started to trend down while passing offenses have never been valued more. What do you attribute to this de- just sudden decrease in interceptions? Is it less aggressive downfield passes? Is it better wide receivers or schemes? Is it defenses not being able to play as physical as they were in the past? Because to me, it, it just seems so drastic. You look back to, you know, you know, 20, 30, even, you know, 10 years ago, interception numbers seemed higher. You look back now, Dak Prescott threw, what, 11 interceptions last year, and he's talking about how i got to get those numbers way down. That's way too many. What do you uh, attribute this to? Well, I think it's a, it's a number of things. I think, um, you know, they're just, you know, uh, quarter, quarterbacks have, you know, just understand that turnovers are, are very costly. And so a lot of these quarterbacks are mobile, they're athletic, and they say, hey, if it's not open – scramble get out and now you almost have scramble rules involved and so hey when he scrambles this is your route or this is what your assignments are it kind of becomes a um, extension of the play and like almost you know kind of planned on sometimes and so they just understand hey if it's not there don't force it scramble take check downs you know they're not not scared to hey get the ball underneath and you're throwing it much more and just understand that, hey, five yard completions are great. That's like, that's like a run. We're going to call shots down the field. Just because we call it doesn't mean you have to throw it down the field. If it's not the right look or they give the defense, take your check down, go run, extend the play. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll call it again the next play. Yeah, I know I mentioned David Tyree earlier with the helmet catch, but looking around the NFL right now, the current NFL players, can you give me three guys, game on the line, who you want to throw the rock to? Oh, wow. Um, you know, Tyreek Hills, you know, is one of, one of the most explosive players. Just let him, let him run around. Uh, Jamar Chase and, you know, probably Justin Jefferson. I'd say those, those three receivers. Um, I'm going to add one more, but I'm going to go Kelsey also. So there, you know, there's four. <laughs> Sorry. I had to, I had to get him into the mix. Uh, so three receivers, one tight end. Uh, I think you got to find a way to, you know, get one of those guys the ball. All right, then running back. If you're going to go tight end and three receivers, who's the running back in this situation? Um, yeah, you know, I think I think Saquon's one of the you know exciting running backs. Got to get him healthy, you know, um, you know, right now. But I think this, you know, the way he he runs, he can catch, find ways to get him the ball in space. He usually finds a way to get in the end zone. If you're building a current NFL Frankenstein's monster quarterback, we have to make sure we put Frankenstein's monster because we're a very classy show we're doing right now. Okay. We're classy. We let people know we're well read. Uh, what traits and aspects are you taking from which quarterbacks? Oh, wow. Um, well, there's, yeah, obviously, you know, Mahomes has a lot of the, of the traits, you know, he's, his, his way to, you know, this throw off platform does not have to have his feet completely set um and and this you know just makes incredible throws i think you get uh josh allen just his his uh, stiff arm ability hurtling ability to just uh um you know run run with the ball and and break tackles uh i think you know burrow's just kind of his cool 
collective, you know, the, the moment's never too big for them. Um, you know, just find, find a way to stay, stay calm. Um, then you, you know, then you, you, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, just his speed and like, Hey, let's get, you know, his, his got, you know, ability to make guys miss his shiftiness. Um, so I think that's, yeah, there, there's your Frankenstein right there. I love that. As far as Steve Spagnuolo goes, he was obviously the DC for you in one of those Super Bowls right there. Now here, the DC in Kansas City. There's been a lot of talk about him potentially getting another opportunity as a head coach. I'd love to get just your thoughts on Steve Spagnuolo and the differences between a a coordinator and a head coach. What separates those guys? Because you see some guys who are great coordinators but not great head coaches. What what is the difference in, in, in making those guys so good? Well, the players, uh, I think in a lot of cases, uh, <laughs> you know, make a big impact on that. But, um, you know, uh, love, love coach Spagnola, you know, uh, he was a great, great, great person. He's, he was, uh, always, uh, joy to talk to, had a couple stints with him back with the Giants, uh, even after he won that Super Bowl and, and just, um, you know, still stay in touch with them, text with them. And, and so I think he's got a great defensive mind and, and, and strategy and philosophy, but just a great, uh, great, great person to, to be around. Um, and just to pick his brain about football and, and, and stuff outside of football. So I think he would be, you know, continue to make a great, um, you know, would make a great head coach, uh, if he got the, uh, another chance. I think having been around, you know, Coach Coughlin, he's been around at Andy Reid, kind of different styles of doing it, just understanding what's made both those guys successful and then turning that into your own style. Uh, we give him a great, a great opportunity for success. All right. Before I let you get out of here, give me your, your Mount Rushmore of, of quarterbacks all time. And you can give me your Mount Rushmore of your Kings Hawaiian slider recipe. I want, I want to get that in here as well. All right, uh, quarterbacks. We'll go. Uh, we'll go. Uh, Brady. We'll go. Um, big brother Peyton. Even though that 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 you know hurts me to say. Uh, we'll go. Um, Joe Montana, and we'll go. Uh, uh, Brett Favre. Those are Love my it. And then for the Kings to wind the uh, slider, we're gonna go the uh, yeah the Turkey Ranch slider. We're going to go a sloppy Joe on a bun, on the King's Wine bun. We're going to go, um, like a little short, short ribs. And then we're just going to get the kids involved. You got to just have like a, a turkey sandwich on the pretzel, uh, bun. That, that's always a, a, a crowd pleaser for the kiddos. Yeah, I was a big fan of the pulled pork on the Kings. So when, again, Kansas yeah. City, you got to have the pulled pork. I you like got to have I like it. We could throw that in there. We could get yeah. that in there. That would be well. number five. Number there five. Uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, champion of Kings Hawaiian, Eli Manning. Uh, I'll be looking out in the mail for my uh, invite to become the third member of the Manning cast. Just, just letting you know. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Eli, I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by two-time World Series starter, World Series champion, Savannah Bananas pitcher, all-around great guy, Jeremy Guthrie. Jeremy, how are you? 
We're doing very well, Sterling. Good to be on with you. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to be here. Before we get into the actual Major League Baseball, the new stadium, the Royals, you being in the World Series, obviously, I saw you pitch with the Savannah Bananas here in KC. I have to ask, what was that experience like? Because as a fan, that was so much fun. Well, that's their motto, Fans First. That's the uh, name of their production company that fuels it all. Um, their whole idea is to make it a great experience for fans. So, number one, they would say they would be pleased to hear that you had a great time because that was their entire goal. Um, but my introduction to the Bananas was obviously through social media, number one, where I think most people learn of the Bananas. And then um, the Alumni Association last November started organizing a team of retired players and they had worked out uh, an arrangement to have three games versus the Bananas, uh, two in Savannah, one in Tampa this past summer. And so I started training to pitch against the Bananas. And after I pitched against them, they thought my my style and excitement for the game matched theirs. And so they invited me to pitch with them if I would like as well. So I pitched with the Bananas three times. I pitched against the Bananas two additional times. And it was a blast. And we'll probably continue to do it next year as long as the arm stays attached to the body in the right part in the right way uh, how competitive do you get in those situations i mean you pitch in a game seven of a world series and as you mentioned this is fans first it's fun first that's the whole motto here how hard is it to almost dial it back are you still trying to strike those dudes out as you're throwing the rock from second base to home i'm trying to beat my kids in one-on-one basketball so needless to say i'm trying to strike people out when i pitch against them in a banana game uh, uh, there is no I don't have an on-off switch for competitiveness. Oh, that's great. i, I got to get you in the softball field, man. you got to get you in slow-pitch <laughs> softball, see how that goes. Yeah, I played that one time. I didn't love slow-pitch softball. I, uh, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, that, that's not my sport. I'd rather play some chess maybe or something, but I'll, I'll come cheer you on. How about that? Uh, there we go. Love to hear it. Jeremy Guthrie is our guest right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I want to take a look back at the 2014-2015 Royals teams. For me, growing up, I, I'm 29 years old. That was the pinnacle for me of Royals baseball. Those postseason runs, just the aura around those teams was so electric. I'd love for you to walk us through what made those two teams so special. Well, I think what made them special was what what the Kansas City Royals did in preparation for it. Obviously, they endured um, a number of really tough years, fans and players and organization alike. And Dayton Moore created a vision and created a plan that took a lot of time and took a lot of patience from everybody involved to, to stay the course. But I think that's what's exciting is they had an idea of how to draft and, and strive to develop young players. And then it was a matter of sprinkling in a couple of veterans. But maybe what's most fulfilling about the teams that I was a part of, which were the 12, 13, 14, and 15 teams, was that I truly felt like we were a team. And I feel like the sum of our parts was greater than the whole. Um, I think we had superstars on a local level, like in a, in a real sense of the word, but not nationally. We didn't have guys that, you know, were perennial all-stars or receiving MVP votes or Cy Young votes. We just had a bunch of guys that played really well and worked hard and did their part, but also played together. And I think that's um, maybe surprising because baseball is a very individual sport, but I think we sh- showed the world that when you do it together, you're actually much better than you are when you try to do it individually. And that went from our our position players to our starters and certainly all the way into our bullpen, which um, was electric and one of the most historic bullpens. So 
that's what I remember most in terms of the baseball side, obviously from the, the fan perspective and just the experience. I lived in Kansas City while I played there, so I saw the, the city literally take on the color blue in a way that it probably hadn't in many, many years. Um, literally turning fountains blue and just everyone was all about Royals baseball. So I got to live that not just during the season, but even the aftermath in the off seasons when, you know, the energy and excitement for Royals baseball was an all time, maybe an all time high, at least in my opinion, right? Who knows what it was like in the seventies and the eighties, but it felt like it couldn't get any better than it was during 2014 and 15. Yeah, in my lifetime, my lifetime for sure, Jeremy, that was the pinnacle. I have never been so excited. I still remember going back to, was it 2013, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was 2012, actually, but right before you got there, uh, Justin Maxwell hit that that walk-off grand slam, and I remember thinking, that is what's catapulting this Royals team into, hopefully, the playoffs in the upcoming seasons, but it just goes back to being such a baseball fan. I still remember Justin Maxwell. That was his only season with the Royals, a walk-off grand slam. I do laugh, though, because it was 2014 and 2015 Royals specifically. The bullpen, as you mentioned, was so good. I almost look back now and say, did the Royals... I don't want to say ruin baseball, but they laid the blueprint for having such a dominant bullpen. You look around Major League Baseball right now, it seems like every single guy that comes out is throwing 100. They have these dominant bullpen arms, such a focus on these relievers now that maybe there wasn't what, uh, there wasn't such a focus on before the Royals did in 14 and 15. Did the Royals almost break baseball to an extent? Well, I think that you make a good point. And I think, you know, to the Royals' credit, I don't know that they even knew necessarily what they were doing. I don't think the Royals were trying to shorten the game in the way that it turned out to happen. I think they just were developing pitching, and they ended up having a couple of flamethrowers and a couple guys that moved out of the rotation, like Wade Davis and Luke Hochaber, into the bullpen. And so um, what happened is you ended up shortening the game, where we would win almost every single time when, when leading not just after the eighth or ninth inning, which is pretty typical across baseball, but we would win if we led after the fifth or the sixth inning. And so did they break baseball? They certainly changed it, I believe. I think that blueprint and seeing the way that could factor in has shortened uh, the game in many ways. I think starters go less innings, and I think there's a lot of factors into that. But I think what the Royals did in 2015 is a big part of that. I think you're right that the people watching and recognizing, wow, this is how you can win a game a lot more consistently. Let's try that. has led to more specialization in bullpen arms. And with that, obviously, more focus on velocity and just power stuff with all the technology that allows and, and helps facilitate that. But the Royals kind of put the blueprint out that they built the house. It looked good to everyone. Everyone did a walkthrough in an open house and said, we really like this. And a lot of organizations in the game of baseball generally has kind of bought into that. So um, the game is different than it used to be. So I don't know if it's broken or just different, but it certainly was impacted by what Kansas City and, and specifically the bullpen did in 2014 and 15. Yeah, what I find so interesting is you threw over 200 innings five times in your career. You look forward at some of these great pitchers. You know, let's just even say Shane McClanahan, right? Some of these young, great pitchers. How often will they get over the 200 inning mark? That obviously remains to be seen, but it doesn't look like it's trending that way. The game has just evolved so much. I got to ask you, you can plead the fifth here. I'm not, I'm not going to blame you if you plead the fifth. Would you have sent Alex Gordon on that, uh, on that scamper home? Well, I was in the dugout. If you had a replay, I think one of my favorite documentaries is the Fab Five, and they show the replay of what people thought and reacted when Chris Weber called the timeout. 
I think if you could zoom in on our bench, I was probably one of a few guys that was waving the arm like, send them, let's just go for it. So maybe the answer is yes, which has only been, you know, uh, more clarified knowing the result. It's easy to send them now, but I was definitely on the top step on the field saying, just send them, let's go for it. You know, this, this bum garner is not going to give up two hits in a row, <laughs> but what an impossible situation that would have been for uh, for Mike Gershley and uh, you know with Salvador Perez coming up I think he made the right decision but I probably would have sent him because I'm careless and crazy <laughs> careless and crazy I love the uh, the expression right there Jeremy Guthrie is our guest right here Sports Radio 810 WHB one of the things that was so fun about those great teams in Kansas City it, not just on the field but just some of the off the field trash talk if you will um, you had those O's ain't royal shirts that came out. Obviously, I thought those were were pretty badass. But how hard was it? You played for the Baltimore Orioles before. You were with them for how many years? Four, five years. How hard was it going up against your former team and having a little trash talk as well? Well, it was exciting. I was, you know, for me, it was such irony to be having been a part of the Orioles for five years. That was the team I played for the longest and had great years with Baltimore. But we were a really bad team, and we, you know, we we were fighting against losing a hundred games every single season, and then all of a sudden to be traded a couple of times, find myself on Kansas City and pitching in the playoffs for the first time in my career, and ironically, it's against the team that I came up with and, and that I had started my career with, and uh, suddenly they were one of the best teams in baseball as well. So for me, it was just it was awesome. I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, for me, the shirt was just in good fun. I never even thought about it in, the, in a negative way, and I think had they won, I think the shirt probably would have been more fun for them too. It just turns out that we happen to win the series, and so um, I think on their end it, it took on a little bit more controversy than certainly was intended. But uh, I loved playing against them. I thought it was a blast. Pitching against Adam Jones, one of my very best friends in baseball, was a thrill. Uh, we had had banter our entire careers talking about what he would do against me if we faced each other, and then to have a chance to do it in the in the ALCS was pretty cool. So um, I couldn't have imagined it being a better scenario. Go to Baltimore and see that stadium just lit up in a way that I'd never seen during the five years I played was was pretty fulfilling. Yeah, how hard is that when you have some great seasons but you're stuck on a bad team? You know, you're a veteran at this point. You obviously want to win. What is that like? Because I always thought for guys like Whit Merrifield here in Kansas City, you know, he came after those great years. He was a very solid player on some bad teams. You know, Salvador Perez is a little different because he's been there during the glory years as well. How hard is it when you're having good years, you're a veteran here, and the team is struggling? What does that do to you mentally? Well, I think your job is to be the best you can be. So um, for me, I wasn't focused on really, I never thought I'd pitch in the playoffs of the World Series. And that's not to mean I didn't prepare and work hard for it. I just, you know, I, just, I couldn't control that. So I just worried about what I could control, which was trying to do the best I could be every five days. So for me, it wasn't too much of a grind. To be in the major leagues is a huge honor. And whether or not we were playing in the playoffs, it would have been nice to play in the playoffs, but I was just grateful each day to put on a major league uniform and knew that I was fighting for my job every single time I, I took them out because thousands of other pitchers would love to be in the position I was in um, during my career. So I would say it wasn't a big grind, but just really 
you know, being in baseball was enough for me that I was super grateful for any opportunity I had. Yeah, so you you pitched in two World Series games, including Game 7. How do you calm yourself down, or do you just go out there and you're just so amped up? How do you live in the moment when you know you're on the biggest stage, all eyes are on you? How do you treat it as if it's just another game, or do you basically say, you know what, it's not another game, and there's no way I can make myself believe that it is? Um, I like the word poise. I think poise is, uh, I don't know the exact definition, but for me it's, kind of maintaining a calmness and a focus amidst maybe unforeseen circumstances or excitable moments. And so I I consider myself someone that's tried to work on and develop poise throughout my career. And that being said, when you find yourself in the World Series, for me, I felt the greatest thing I could do for myself and for the team is to keep my poise, to not look at it as a different game, to not, I, I don't get amped up. I don't believe necessarily in being amped up, at least not in baseball, maybe in football or basketball where energy seems to have a positive effect on performance. But in baseball, you know, you didn't see my velocity jump three or four miles per hour. You didn't see me throwing 98 miles an hour instead of 93. But I just went out there and tried to execute the pitches as best I could. And um, you know, if I struck someone out or got a big out, there was no fist pump. And that's just who I was. I think some players really thrive on that and, and more power to them. I'm not one of those. And so you didn't see it, you know, you don't, you didn't see it during the regular season and you didn't see it during the playoffs. I, I really truly try to treat those games the same while understanding that the, the stakes were much higher. Jeremy Guthrie is our guest joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. With the overhaul in the pitching staff, the philosophies in the past years for the Kansas City Royals, they've done a good job of identifying certain players, maybe a certain flaw with a veteran like Araldis Chapman, and they quote-unquote helped fix him. They, they, they showed him what he was doing wrong, what he was doing earlier in his career to have success. They found the reason why, and they had success with Araldis here. Another guy is Cole Reagans. How impressed have you been with this overhaul in the whole pitching side of things for the Kansas City Royals? Well, I think you, you point out two really valuable examples of, of what they've done, and I think that's uh, a credit to to the Kansas City Royals and their development um, efforts. I think especially the Cole Reagans trade is really powerful because they saw a guy with a great arm, increased velocity, uh, some success in the big leagues, success in the minor leagues, and ultimately what they determined was if they could help him develop a slider, they felt he could be even more effective. And so um, just the amount of attention that must go into scouting a player and recognizing that the addition of one pitch could make that much difference is really, really, um, I think, a great sign for Kansas City, really to win games. Um, I heard Theo Epstein talk about it when he referred to his time with Chicago and the Red Soxes. You have to be really, really good at scouting and development if you hope to establish a championship-caliber organization. And so I think if I'm a Royals fan and I recognize the trades they made this year and the signings they made with Chapman perhaps, that you look and say, okay, we're trending in a positive direction in some really, really important parts of a championship-caliber organization, and that is the scouting and development. So um, that's a, a really important piece of progress for Kansas City and one I know that JJ and his team only want to continue to build on constantly bringing in scouts and evaluators that they trust and have a proven track record of being able to do that so um, you know that that probably excites me the most out of anything I've seen with Kansas City this year is that um, they've proven that they are advancing 
in their ability to to scout and sign the right type of player to build around. Yeah, and they're both big, hard-throwing lefties, so I think the Royals just need to get, uh, I don't know, uh, 13 big, hard-throwing lefties. I'm only being slightly facetious right now. Uh, But with the new rule changes in baseball, you know, the larger bag, the pitch clock, uh, the crackdown on the shift, what are your thoughts here? Because I've always been very old school, which is very funny because I'm 29 years old and people always laugh and say I'm, I'm a curmudgeon. I'm, I'm a huge uh, fan of the way baseball was, but I can't help but find my myself loving some of these new rules. I like the larger bases because I do like seeing more stolen bases. Uh, I am to an extent a fan of the pitch clock because you're not taking away actually from the action. You're taking away some of the uh, you know, the old Nomar Garcia para stepping out of the, uh, the batter's box and fixing his gloves three or four times. You know, I, I'm starting to find myself growing to these new rules. Where do you land on them? Well, I've been a fan of them since day one. Uh, I recognize, number one, pitch clock. I've been a pitcher. Um, I know that for some it's more of a dramatic um, change than for others. For me, it would not have been an issue. It would have been probably what I was already doing anyhow. But you're right. The fans go to watch action. And I know the intent of all the rule changes were to increase action, uh, whether that was to allow more base hits by this, by kind of getting rid of shifts, or whether that is to increase stolen base attempts by shortening the base paths by a couple of inches here and there, as well as limiting how many times a pitcher can throw over, giving the runner a little bit more of an advantage to increase the, the incentive to run and steal. I think all of these are, are intended to create more action, and that's what fans want to see. That's why you know, soccer is one of the most, you know, probably the most popular sport in the world, if I'm not mistaken, is because there's just action all the time, even if it's not action that I particularly love. It's action. The ball's moving, the guys, the, the players are running around, um, so I think that was the intent of all the rule changes. And so I was a fan from day one. I'm glad to hear that you're coming around and recognizing its value and that the game has become more attractive to you. Ultimately, they want to appeal to all fans, especially young fans. And one way to do that is to, to keep their attention on action. And so I think the intended consequences have come to fruition, and I anticipate there will probably be more changes in the future. They're just trying to adjust the game, nudge it in the right direction, so that it becomes an action-filled sport, maybe more like it was in the in the in previous decades, but what it's kind of gone away from in more recent decades. Yeah, you're you're correct. By the way, the pitch clock would not have affected you. I remember being like, "Oh yeah, Jay Guts is on the mound. Love it. We got action going. We don't have to sit and wait around for him." We know it's going to be quick. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the new stadium. Again, I think change is always hard for people just in general, just in life, not just in baseball. Once people come to the understanding that, hey, the stadium is going to move, and I do appreciate Mr. Sherman, he's not waffling here. He's not trying to demand that if he doesn't get what he wants, he's going to move this to Las Vegas like the Oakland Athletics were, right? It's not him saying, you know, we're 50-50 on if we're going to leave it or if we're going to stay in the current K. He's made up his mind and that I can respect a man who uh, he has his gumptions and he holds to it what are your thoughts on the new stadium I love that point I love the point you make that he's not trying to leverage a new stadium against leaving the city that's a really valuable point to point out I don't even know that I've ever considered that but you see that so much Um, and I think you're going to see it a little bit right now with Chicago the White Sox you're probably you're seeing it a little bit with Milwaukee that there, and you certainly saw with the Tampa Bay Rays, that there becomes this kind of war that if you don't give us a new stadium, we're leaving. And you see that John Sherman's 
motivated by the fans and their experience and by Kansas City and it, it, its community. That's really important to recognize. He doesn't want to move the team. He wants to improve what the Kansas City Royals can do for the city and the community and the whole outlying area around Kansas City. And he believes that that is done more effectively at a brand-new ballpark in downtown where it can just really increase traffic and business and the vibrancy of what Kansas City is. And so um, that's really, really valuable. I love what new ballparks have done for other cities. I've seen them. I've experienced it. I've witnessed it. I also am a traditionalist, so I recognize just how valuable it is to have stadiums like Dodger Stadium and Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. Um, but, you know, w- when you have a stadium that has great history, but it also, you know, kind of, I think, in the where it is location-wise, I think there's just so much left on the table that the, fa- the Kansas City Royal fan can experience that <clears throat> can make it so much better. So I'm a huge proponent of a downtown ballpark. I say that with only having lived in Kansas City for four years of my life. I'm not a lifer there where, you know, someone in their 60s or 70s has witnessed some of the greatest moments of their life. But I know without a doubt that a new ballpark will bring those same memories to the to the rising generations. And years down the road, they'll be telling stories about um, what it was like to go to the ballpark when it was moved downtown, if that's where it ends up being. Or, or, you know, I know there's a couple of options, but I think what it can do for Kansas City, what it can do for the, for the city and the community is really where Mr. Sherman's thoughts are. And that's extremely valuable. And in baseball-wise, and I'm not going to pretend and say because you have a nicer stadium, more free agents are going to come or not going to come. And that's not what it's about for him. It's just about having the right stadium, the right amenities, the right progress, and it's time for a new stadium, and it's time to put it in a place that makes more sense um, in today's day and age. And, and so for that reason, I'm in full support, and I hope that that uh, you know fans and all the other logistics that have to go in to make it happen – would feel and recognize that um, as it goes along as well. Uh, Before I let you go here, Jeremy, you had something that when I was younger, I was 21 years old, I I, I went to a Cleveland game. It was the Royals playing Cleveland, and we saw you on the street. It was me and my parents. We were sitting at a bar. And and just, again, to show everyone out there that, that Jeremy is an actual really good dude, we were waving to you saying, hey, Jeremy, hey, Jeremy. And instead of you just waving and just kept on going, you came over and hung out and talked with us for a while, and that still just stood out to me. You know, a major league ball player, uh, I guess I was 21, that had been the year you guys actually won the World Series, right? So that to me always stood out, and I just always am so grateful having that connection between some of the Royals players and that they're actual good dudes, right? I felt like a lot of those guys on that team, it was more than just being good at baseball. It was the fact that they actually integrated themselves in with the fans. So, Jeremy, I just have to say, that memory still stands out to me. i uh, got to give you some kudos there. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's really cool. Now, we we love our fans and, and love when they recognize us, say hello, take pictures, take autographs. That's really what I think Kansas City Royals baseball is all about, and certainly it was there in 2015 from guys like Hosmer and Moose literally partying with thousands of fans to an experience like we had where it's just a matter of kind of a one-on-one conversation and, and just talking with the fans and not being you know, in too much of a rush or too much going on that we can't uh, spend a few moments and, and appreciate what they do for us and how they lift us up. And so I'm glad that we had that good experience and hopefully there's many more stories like that floating around from all of the guys that were on the team then and the team now. 
World Series champion Jeremy Guthrie. Jeremy, really appreciate the time. Hey, Sterling, a pleasure, and I uh, look forward to seeing you again. Maybe not even Kansas City. Maybe we'll meet somewhere along the, the road of uh, the Kansas City Royals next season. Hey, we'll see somewhere out there. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, how are you? I'm good. I'm going to just jump right right out. It's just too easy and say Taylor Swift is the El Bandito Yankee (laughs) tequila star of the game. Uh, Travis Kelsey did okay. Seven catches, 69 yards, and of course a touchdown. I, I have a feeling that just lightly that Patrick Mahomes wanted to, you know, if he could accommodate him, which he always does anyway, and Travis is the best tight end, with maybe the exception of Tony Gonzalez, but probably not. I think Travis is the best tight end, uh, you know, maybe ever, certainly in the top three all time. So, uh, But I think Taylor gets it. I think she gets the MVP, and uh, we'll try to get her some El Bandito Yankee tequila in her suite next time. (laughs) Nick, you beat me to it. I was going to give a shout-out to Taylor and give her the El Bandito Yankee player of the game, getting Travis right. Too easy. Getting the offense right. Come on. I mean, all we have is to to go off the one game the Chiefs offense was rolling, and that one game Taylor just happened to be there. I will say from an actual – football perspective here going forward do you think this is any sort of potential distraction for the team or is this team i do you do okay i do do. it's the kind of thing that probably won't happen because it's not as if travis is in his third year in the league and uh he's used to now that he's been on saturday night live and he's had a little higher profile but you know this is uh if it gets emotional Uh, I think the key thing will be for the coaches and for Travis to set some uh, boundaries and their expectations, not only with the team, but, you know, obviously with what they're looking for. And and perhaps because Taylor happens to also be a seasoned veteran in many ways and certainly has had to deal with all sorts of uh, publicity and exposure and many of it, much of it unwanted in her personal life, I think maybe they'll manage it better than we expect. Yeah. When you look around right now, I find this very fascinating because the NFL by itself is a different animal because in any other sport, do you see Kansas City or a a place in the Midwest where it has this kind of firepower, this kind of stardom, if you will? You're so used to hearing about L.A. and New York or maybe Chicago if you want to count Chicago. But this is Kansas City. Kansas City has the best quarterback in the NFL, the best player in the NFL, the face of the NFL in Patrick Mahomes. They have the best tight end, the best head coach in Andy Reid, and now they have this superstar uh, of Taylor Swift grabbing on, and just everything seems to be gravitating around Kansas City. I just find it so fascinating that it's not L.A., it's not New York. How cool is it that this is happening in Kansas City? Winning a couple Super Bowls is the most important part of that. Being in the AFC Championship game five years in a row is a big part of that. And let's not forget Chris Jones as well, who's shown since he's come back that he was is worth the price of admission. Uh, but also, you know what? I think having witnessed Kansas City starting in 1980 and the evolution of it since 2000, 
Kansas City is no longer a country town just in the Midwest. It's a very sophisticated town. It's always been underestimated. It's always not been given the credit it deserves as a culturally interesting place. I actually narrated a video, a uh, documentary on the history of Kansas City jazz and blues. I mean, why was it, you know, 50 years later, unlike Chicago and New York and and New Orleans, et cetera, why was Kansas City blues and jazz always the last thing to be mentioned or appreciated, yet we knew it was there? John Coltrane is one small example. So you know what, Kansas City, I always felt when I lived there, and twice as much today, deserves it. It's not a small town anyway, but it's a beautiful secret, and uh, maybe this is just another example that it's getting a lot more attention because it's earned it. Hello? I will also say there's a reason why Kansas City is called the Paris of the Plains. But getting into the game as the Chiefs aptly dismantled the Chicago Bears 41-10, to I want to talk about the wide receivers, right? They're, they've been struggling to start the season. They didn't struggle in this game. Obviously, you can make the case that Rasheed Rice had that brutal drop that turned into an interception. But no better time to do it than up 41. Rasheed Rice was getting open. He looked like he is improving. Justin Watson being Mr. Consistent game in and game out. You obviously had uh, Sky Moore, MVS. They started to show out a little bit more as well. What did you take away from this wide receiver starting to get this rapport with Patrick Mahomes? Well, look at the numbers, okay? The number of plays you get in the preseason. One of them is when veterans don't play in the preseason, witness Aaron Rodgers not playing virtually except for about 15 plays in the preseason, gets injured on the fourth play. That is a factor. But it's also a factor for everyone. And when you go from four games to three, when you go from 16 games to 17 regular season, they've cut back on the preseason. And so those revolutions, those repetitions, uh, you don't get as many. So it takes a couple games. I mean, especially on offense because timing is everything. Uh, what I love, uh, and we're going to you know, definitely talk about the defense in more detail, but oh my God, we I mean, we're only giving up 10, 11 points a game on defense after three games. But if you look at it, Travis, Rasheed, who I think is going to continue to, to do better. He's had a couple drops here and there, but he's, you know, a physical force. Justin Watson is getting more confidence. Guy more Marquez Valdez Gantling. That is also testimony to a quarterback who, since losing Tariq Hill, who continues to show, I mean, an incredible dominance with Miami, witnessed 70 points in the opening touchdown in his speed, yet with a Patrick Mahomes, we actually are more unpredictable. We are more difficult to uh, develop a game plan against on offense. Most importantly, though, when we have a running game, I've been saying this from week one, as we have with Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries, 62 yards, touchdown, couple catches. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 15 carries, 55 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, that is everything to open it up even further. And with an offensive line separate from, and I'm sure we'll touch on this, Jawan Taylor and what they're doing with the referees giving him a little too much attention because he lines up maybe one inch further back than the others. Um, but overall, this offensive line, I think, is performing pretty well. And that gives, even if it's literally two-tenths of a second more, for Patrick Mahomes to survey the field. That's all he needs. I've said, beginning last year, I would rather keep in an extra couple tight ends and give Patrick two receivers, just two. He's so mobile. He's so athletic. He's so difficult to catch that – 
he will find those guys. And, of course, he has the, the most remarkable arm from 15 different angles. So, you know, um, this offense is doing better each week. And that's a testimony also to a great coaching staff uh, transition away from a previous offensive coordinator who's now in Washington, uh, who did not have a good game last week. But, you know, right now uh, this offense is positioned where it should be and seems to have balance. The teams, if you look around the league, starting with Miami, by the way, the teams that are doing well have great balance in the running game to complement the passing game. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. Sticking with Jawan Taylor on the offensive line, I'm with you. He's actually looked pretty good when he's not having all of these penalties. But again, it's kind of an oxymoron. How can you be that good when penalties are starting to really pile up? What I will say is that first one against him, I think, was a legitimate penalty. He was lying too far back. Now, that second one that MVS actually ended up scoring a touchdown on that was called back, I thought was completely unfair. And quite frankly, it was a, an egregious call by the referees you heard Andy Reid post game actually calling out the refs saying hey come on we actually had some backups in who lined up farther back than Jawan Taylor just to see if they would throw the flag and they did not at this point the refs are so focused and dialed in on Jawan have you ever seen anything like this around the NFL and where do the Chiefs and specifically Jawan Taylor go from here well with Andy Reid I mean Who's more qualified than a longtime offensive lineman who is the offensive lineman protecting Jim McMahon at BYU is one example to know exactly the nuances of how you line up. I mean, give me a break. So it's just one of those things. I think it's going to fade away, uh, but it's, it's unfair and it's still something that the team has to address. And once they've shown that, that it's been addressed, the referees will focus elsewhere. To give some credit to referees, referees in the National Football League are the most challenged of any referees in any sport. They have to run over a the bigger field than anywhere. They have bodies crashing, running Olympic speed, 20 miles an hour sometimes, just like Justin Fields. Uh, and they have to somehow make a split-second decision. How many of us have seen a replay where even in slow motion, it's hard to decide. So I got to give them some credit. They've got so much to worry about. I, if I was an owner, you know, we have these moments of grandeur. If I had a, if I was an owner, I was influential. If I was the commissioner, I would su- suggest that perhaps they have rules changes every two years, not every year, because what happens is every single year, the referees have to change and adjust to the nuances that they're uh, making in their new rules making. So that makes it very hard. Was it this year? Was it last year? And you've got to make your decisions in a split second, and it can decide the game. So many games, which is part of why the NFL is four times more popular than baseball and basketball. So many games come down to one play or two plays. So referees have it tough. But um, it's about time they stop picking on Juwan Taylor. Uh, in a game that was not a one-score game, 41-10, to 10, to me the defense really stood out. As you mentioned earlier on, give them their flowers. Drew Tranquil stepped in very nicely for an injured Nick Bolton. Obviously, Thank you. Chris Jones did a great job. The entire defensive line did a great job. And I know folks are sitting here saying, well, how much can you take away from a horrendous offensive line of the Chicago Bears? You know, they're not the, the best coach team in the NFL, Justin 
Fields is having a bad week, a bad game, a bad season. But what I also want to point out is the cornerbacks were in those wide receivers' hip pockets. That doesn't matter who you were going against, who was throwing the football. It does not matter. DJ Moore was locked up time and time again by Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson. What did you take away as a whole from this electric defense? I, I just, you know, we had seven rookies on the defense last year. And as I said last week, going from your first year to your second year, it's not just your ability. It's not just your experience per se. It is knowing exactly how to cover people and how what will be uh, called and what won't. If you watch Joey Porter Jr. in the last play of the game with Pittsburgh against Cleveland, he had arms on both sides of the receiver. It was a fourth down uh, pass from uh, Deshaun Watson. It was it was absolutely interference, but they didn't call it. And that's the stuff that <laughs> drives defensive coordinators and defensive backs crazy. So knowing the subtlety of that, how much you can pull on the hand, but don't pull the jersey. Remember the jersey call uh, or uh, against uh, the uh, in the end of the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. When we saw a jersey being pulled, that's what they're looking for. So knowing what you can get away with, frankly, is part of it because every single collision, as they're running down the field, you've got four arms wrestling with each other. So in that second year, you see the sophistication of our defensive backs increase significantly. The overall um, consistency when you have the same defensive coordinator, the same language, if you will, they're all on the same page at a much earlier stage. So, so far, uh, you have to put the Chiefs' defense in the top two or three in the NFL right now. Yeah, and where do you go when you see the Chiefs? You know, we thought the Lions were going to be really good this year. They have struggled. The Jaguars have obviously struggled to a one and two start, and the Bears right now, uh, they look absolutely brutal. How do you really get a feel for how this Chiefs team and specifically the defense has done so far? How much can you take away from playing maybe not the best competition? Well, you know, it would have been a lot easier playing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, frankly, Sunday night. Um, you know, there's a lot of the usual, having played in New York for three years, the usual of drummed up controversy with the media. One of the things uh, for the fans to know uh, that I always disagreed with when I came to New York, because Marty and Carl had very wise limitations on how long the press could be there in the locker room uh, during lunchtime, after the practice, and also on the field. There was a chance to watch the beginning of practice and at the end of practice. But in New York, they're watching the entire practice. I don't know if they've changed that. But then if you're hanging in the locker room, not for 10 minutes, but for an hour, you can ask the same question five or six different ways and get that little nuance, that little tone of voice, and then play it for all it's worth. So it's it's tough in New York. Uh, frankly, uh, Wilson, uh, as my I'm lucky enough to say, Joe Namath, my friend, I just talked to him. He actually had COVID before their 9-11 game because he was going to be with me on the sidelines. He'd gotten COVID in that trip to Alabama where it was on uh, the Saturday morning games. But he came out, and this is not the normal Joe Namath, and said that uh, Wilson is just not the man for the job. He, uh, Joe Namath will never say that normally. So we will not be tested in the normal way. Having said that, we will be tested on offense because the Jets' defense is legit. They've got a phenomenal defensive line. 
And Juwan Taylor, the offensive line, they got to keep sticking up and giving that protection. Um, but um, on on the other side of the ball, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Normally, when it all looks in one direction, you might see a surprise and see the Jets come up with a couple plays. But uh, we're lucky we're not having to play Aaron Rodgers. At the same time, I have every confidence that the Chiefs will continue to to keep building this this consistency. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. And as always, Nick Lowry is presented by El Bandito Yankee Tequila, the best tequila out there. So smooth. So smooth, Nick. It's criminal. Uh, Who is your El Bandito Yankee player of the game you're looking forward to in this Chiefs-Jets matchup? Oh, by the way, I think uh, we're having a tailgate. In lot, I think it's lot J before the games, and you can get El Bandito at High V. Everybody, uh, it's a hundred dollar tequila that you can get for forty forty five dollars, and it's absolutely smooth. But I would I would say if you're asking me to predict what's going to happen this game, I want to put a little bit now on the running game. I want to see Pacheco, who you know we've got fifteen carries, nicely matched for those those two with Hilaire, but I, I'd like to see Pacheco break out and, and have a nice uh, game because this this defense that we're playing is an altogether better uh, challenge than we had against the Bears. And if we can get our running game going on Sunday night, I think we're in for a pretty good game. Score prediction, what do you have here? Is it going to be a, a celebratory El Benito Yankee tequila drink? I'm going to go with 27 to 17. I think that uh, I think it's a nine point spread. I, I never paid attention to that when I played for obvious reasons. Now you've got betting in the stadium and it's all over the place. But yeah, I, I think this uh, we can't take anything for granted. I don't know if if uh, Taylor Swift is going to be in the stadium in New York, <laughs> which which will be a distraction. Oh my God! But. But uh, I, I think that as long as the team stays focused and as long as Travis Kelsey and the whole team remembers what's the number one deal, um, you know, in the end, the deal is the deal. It's the trophy. It's the Super Bowl. It's getting better so that by the end of the season, you hit your mark at a whole new level. Uh, everyone listening, make sure you go out to High V and pick up some El Benito Yankee tequila. Make sure you crack that open and celebrate what we're hoping is a Chiefs victory over the Jets. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, always a pleasure. Thanks, guys, and let's let's keep it going. We're we're only two and one. We've got a lot of games ahead, but uh, it's pretty cool being in the best city in the NFL and the best team. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Shout out to Eli Manning, Nick Lowry, Jeremy Guthrie. A lot of fun having all of those guys on the show today. Super good time. You know what's not a good time? Not a good time when the Royals and Detroit Tigers game gets suspended. That game will be made up tomorrow. They got through four innings before it got suspended. They'll pick it up as the front end of a... Is it a doubleheader or is it a game and a half? It's not a doubleheader. Uh, yeah, five double innings in a game. Tomorrow. Yeah, but it's five innings in a game. Suspended. It's going to be a five-inning game? Well, they've already got through four. Oh, that's right. Yeah, good call. Yep. Yeah, you know what sucks? 
I'm in the fantasy football finals right now. I have a lot of money on the line. Guess who I had pitching tonight? Tariq Skubal, the pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, who had four innings completed and eight strikeouts. You might say, Stern, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that is. But we play in a league where quality starts give you a lot of points, and oh yeah, wins give you a lot of points. You gotta go through five innings to get a win. You gotta go through six to get the QS. That ain't gonna happen. If I lose by like four points, you know how furious I will be at Mother Nature? I will, I will grab some aerosol cans and spray them in the air. Okay. I will light some tires on fire. Oh, wait. No, that's just the Chicago Bears organizations. Okay, guys. They're, they're also bad for the, uh, for the environment. I mean, come on. (laughs) The money in the line here. That, that is tough. It hurts. It's painful. It's not ideal. I do laugh because Miguel Cabrera hit his 500, 500th and 11th home run as the Tigers. Again, lead the Royals 4-0. to And I'm laughing because 500 of those had to have come against the Kansas City Royals. I mean, seriously. Miguel Cabrera, who was retiring as the season ends, okay, Final week in the majors for Miggy. If he played every game against the Royals, he could go until he was 87. Like, you're telling me you couldn't foresee a headline of Miguel Cabrera hits his 678th homer in his 93rd year around the earth against the Kings. He only plays against the Royals. The other 142 games a year, he does not play. They wheelchair him out and have Miggy just hit bomb to opposite field every single game against the Royals. Oh yeah, this was also hit to right field. Seriously, every home run Miguel Cabrera hits against the Royals is just an absolute nuke to right field. It's just a good matchup for for the Tigers. That's why they put him out there. Uh, dude, I love it. M- Miguel Cabrera's batting a uh, robust... Let's see what that what that bad boy's doing this year. Miguel Cabrera's batting a robust 255, slugging at 345. Let's put in perspective here. Let me get some numbers. Um, Drew Waters. Right? I like Drew Waters, but, you know, he's slugging 380. Michael Garcia, great singles hitter. Slugging 363, both higher by a decent margin than Miguel Cabrera. And of course, what's Miguel Cabrera do tonight? Oh, yeah, he's two for two with a home run to right field. Something about the Royals just all of a sudden turns Miguel Cabrera back into the Triple Crown winning Miguel Cabrera. I will say, I am happy for him. Cool for Miggy in his final week in the majors. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and be joined by Josh Briscoe. Talking nonsense and Chiefs with Briscoe right after this. Sports Radio 810 at WHB. Briscoe's entrance is electric. 
absolutely electric. Like the Chiefs defense on Sunday. You ever hear of a guy named Ray Lewis? Yeah. Energy I'm bringing today. I, I love it. I love it. It looked more Karloftis to me than Ray Lewis, but That's fair. I'm still a fan. Yeah, I, I, I can live with that. I can, I can be uh, uh, furious, George. Man, he was furious on Sunday. He he has been like borderline reckless in a way that makes me really happy. That is a strong man. Like you and I at, at the MVS charity event when we were hosting that, he came and sat by us for a long time. Yeah, did not want to swing a baseball bat. He did not want to swing a baseball bat, but that's okay because that dude is just bull rushing everyone. Uh, yeah, baseball, softball, maybe not his game. Football, it, it is. Someone hit a base or a softball at him, and it almost hit him, and I was thinking – I'm not scared for George. I'm scared <laughs> for the softball. And we're seeing just – and I'm, I'm saying it to, to put in perspective of how large a human being Karloftis is, yeah. how strong he is, how quick and athletic he is, how nice he is. He's a really nice guy. Real nice guy. But, but the point is he has grown so much already from his rookie year until now. He almost comes off as a grizzled old veteran on this team. It yeah. makes me laugh because when you think of like the young defensive line and some of these young pieces on the defense in general, Carl Loftus doesn't come up as a young guy to me. I'm just thinking of him as this grizzled vet, yeah. and he's like 22 years old. He played a ton of snaps last year. Uh, I think he ended up with the most snaps of any Chiefs defensive end. I'm like 95% sure that was it. I think I predicted that preseason not to pat myself on the back about it. He is 22, by the way. That's crazy, <laughs> man. Like He's out here feeling 22. I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome for the Chiefs defensive line. It, it, honestly, I know we're getting real X's and O's real fast, which is kind of a fun change of pace for us. Maybe maybe we're rejecting the Taylor Swift talk to, and getting so on the Chiefs defensive line right away that this is just what the show is now. You, but, you swiftly went into this I know, talk, but huh? it's because it's fun and it's exciting. No, we're going to have bad blood, dude. My, we're not going to have bad blood. You know we got mad love. Michael F. Dana, who, no. where, who's talking about Mike Dana more than this show? Who talked about show, Who's talking un- about Mike Dana more than Sterling Holmes? The unsung hero of the defense. That rep where he is, he I don't remember if he was lined up on the nose, but he, he ended up one-on-one against the center. And I, I had mentioned it to Seth Kaiser, and he was like, yeah, yeah. It was like a, a bull hezzy. Like he, he, he hit it with like the little push-pull bull rush kind of thing because he does that, or a stutter, I think is what it was. Yeah. I, bull hezzy is my phrase. Yeah, I was saying, I, hearing Kaiser say bull hezzy. No, you're right. Yeah. He called it a bull stutter, I think. And because he'll do kind of that little kind of stutter step kind of hesitation move because, as Seth pointed out, he's quicker than interior offensive yes. linemen. So that, that little hezzy kind of thing really works. Well, now what Mike Dana can do, good luck, America is he can do that little hezzy and kind of get you off balance and, and move to, and then just walk an NFL center straight back into <laughs> Justin Fields? That's that's really fun. The Chiefs' defense is fun as hell right now. Yeah, we talked about what was it going to look like without Chris Jones, and not only were they we only saw one game worth, yeah. but they obviously took that and ran with They said, you know what? Fine. No one believes in us. We are going to step up and show you that we will be fine without him. And then you add in Chris Jones. Yes. And by the way, Chris Jones hardly played at all on Sunday. Yep. Uh, he obviously did not need to. Right. Uh, I'm a little surprised because that 51%, obviously sure. he's trying to hit and missing one game, I'm sure is not going to be uh, doing him any favors. Yep. But he saw that 15 sack number, that DPOY number, yep. and he says, all right, well, I'll at least get those because get those. another sack in this game – I almost felt bad for Justin Fields, but he also did himself no favors. Yeah. This Chiefs defense, I don't care that it was the Bears. 
You saw what the Cardinals did to what we all assumed was a very good defense in the Cowboys. It's the NFL. These are all NFL athletes. It's not Alabama against an FCS program. That's right. These are NFL players. They're fighting for their jobs. If you're on a bad team, even more so sometimes you're fighting for your job because you might not make it on another team. And the Chiefs defense just waxed these guys. I can't give enough credit to them. Um, Steve Spagnuolo, I think, has done a just phenomenal job. The versatility of this defense has to be his dream. You know, he was probably promised year one, hey, we'll get you some guys, we'll get you your guys. Well, now he has his guys. They're not rookies anymore. A lot of the young guys are now going into their second and third year. Yes. They're all clicking. I mean, Spags, if you are him, you just have to be ecstatic right now. Absolutely. And and the number of times that we – one of the one of the biggest parts of – Team building and and team success is a very, very, very difficult thing for us to judge correctly from the outside. It's hard to judge internally for teams. It's player development. Because you're going to draft a guy who is some version of himself out of college, and when he retires, he's going to be a very different player. Now, some of that is on the—I mean, of course, a lot of that's on the player to continue improving and, and developing his game— but that that's not going to be all off-season stuff with some dudes who may or may not have been NFL coaches at some point. What? How are you going to grow in the building with your coaching staff? The fact that this team is running out a a a, a bullpen of second-year defenders who look aggressive, fast, largely making pretty mistake-free football happen, communicating stupendously. Yeah. I, I think at this point, a little bit of a sidetrack, I think at this point, both from snap count, I actually didn't compare their snap counts, it didn't really matter against the Bears because it was a, ultimately a preseason game, <laughs> but in, in week one, Joshua Williams played a ton and Jalen Watson played no defensive snaps. In week two, Jalen Watson played some snaps and had a couple of like impact plays. Sure. On, on Sunday... Williams had that one play where he got his head around and like Dylan and I were losing our minds. It was yes. just, it was a great great rep from Josh Williams. Later in the game, Jalen Watson I think was the one who gave up one of those that deep shot down the sideline. I think that led to I don't remember if it was the touchdown of the was field the goal. One, was it the one handed catch by DJ Moore? That might have been it. Um, but it, it was that Still great defense by the way. It, he was in position, <laughs> but he he didn't get around to the ball. And sure. I went, okay, you know what? I I now see finally. I've just been trying to figure out where the hierarchy is going to be. I see that this is, I'm going to, maybe controversial at the top here. Trent McDuffie, one. Legereus Sneed, two. Joshua Williams, three. Jalen Watson, four. Yep. That is an embarrassment of riches. You could take the best corner of that group, Trent McDuffie, and I love Legereus Sneed. I know you yeah. love Legereus Sneed. Correct. Do we agree on number one? Yes, it's Trent McDuffie. Dude's an alien. Thrilling to watch. You could remove him and still have an average NFL one, two, three. Yeah. What's so impressive with Trent McDuffie, too, just he missed a lot, a large portion of last year. Like six weeks or something. So, you know, I don't, I'm not saying he's a rookie, but he hasn't had the full NFL grind, uh, just, just going up against these wide receivers, dick gaming and game out, right? He's still a red shirt. Is that we're going to kind of, yeah, he's kind, kind of, of a red, red shirt rookie a little bit. Yeah. But he, the NFL playoff games and all, he's probably, he's close to a, a full yeah, season, but he's not there yet. Point. He's not I, there yet. I will say with the NFL in general, with the young cornerbacks, I, I want to start putting him in in there with Sauce Gardner, yes, um, Tyreek Woolen for for Seattle. Yep. Um, I, I think another good one who we're going to start talking about more. I want to talk about more because I think he's so talented, Christian Gonzalez yeah. for the Patriots. I said when he fell to New England and go, 
this is about to be the perfect marriage between Belichick and Christian Gonzalez. And I, I've watched those three games. And each time I, I've, I'm left going, that guy's the best defender on the field. Yeah. He's a rookie. Yeah. He's the best defender. But Trent McDuffie needs to be in the conversation because McDuffie, I had my concerns. Even in this preseason, I said, when he gets beat, he doesn't have the size or the arm length to recover the way that some of these bigger bodies corners do. I go, if he gets beat, the recovery is just non-existent. We're, still waiting, we're still waiting to find out. He ain't getting beat. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're not getting beat. And, and that's what's so impressive with McDuffie is you can say the Bears are bad. You can say Justin Fields is horrendous. End of the day, those are still some decent wide receivers. Chase Claypool, right? Mm-hmm. DJ Moore. And it, what we're focusing on for, for me is where was the separation from those wide receivers? There was none. None. none there was none. none. So as bad Nowhere as, to go with football. But, but so as bad as the Bears are, you can still take some aspects of that game, especially in the secondary of the Kansas City Chiefs, and say, you know what? That happens against any other team. Yeah, sure, maybe it's not Tyreek Hill or it's not, um, you know, Devontae Adams, but DJ Moore is a legit wide receiver one, and that dude was locked. That That's absolutely correct, and that's something that we're seeing from some of the tweets of the in the press box. You can actually, I haven't gotten to watch the All-22 yet, and I just wish everything was... Uh, was broadcast like Prime Vision. Um, but that's 100% right. Part of the reason Justin Fields looked so hapless is because there was nowhere to go with the football because the coverage was great, and the coverage was great while they were getting pressure. The offensive line for the Bears, not good. Justin Fields, not in a good place right now. The offensive, or, or, or he's also not good and, and might just not be good. The offensive play calling and coordinating over the first three weeks of the season, not good. How many times over the years have we said, oh, man, I just wish the Chiefs could just put a bad team away. Just thump a bad team. Just steamroll a bad team. They never do. They never do. It's always a one-score game. They play it on the level of their opponent. The AFC South owns them. <laughs> Why can't they just put a team away? Sunday, they throttled the team. I also have breaking news. Trent McDuffie has played. 17 NFL games now. Oh, that's why. He's now he's now a, a veteran. We're now at 14 regular season games and the three in the playoffs, and he's played some high, uh, high leverage, high profile ones, of course, but 14 games last season counting the playoffs. He's now sure. three further in. So he, his, uh, his second, his second uh, season officially begins Sunday night against the Jets. Yeah, his red shirt's lifted. Yeah, that's red, right. Red shirt's lifted. I guess that's right. Yeah. No, just in general, you see no Nick Bolton. Yeah, and you know, how about that, too? Love Nick Bolton against mm-hmm. a run-first offense. Yeah. With, believe it or not, Khalil Herbert last year was very effective. Mm-hmm. Just I don't think he's a great running back necessarily, but he was very effective. Roshan Johnson I'm actually a pretty big fan of, uh, I will say. Uh, I thought he was going to get two more yards because if he got 40, I was about to turn a $5 parlay into 140 bucks. All I needed. <sighs> thank you, Isaiah Pacheco, and thank you, Rasheed Rice. Uh, Roshan Johnson got needed two more yards. i got to stop doing parlays, man. Yeah, but I hit seven more in a row, which was which was a nice – I had a nice evening. But no one cares about my bets. It's the same thing. No one cares about your fantasy football team. No one cares what you scored in golf. Yeah. No one cares about your almost bets, okay? That's usually and true. almost bet is a loss. Yeah. So, I would rather hear about your – I don't know. The, the Do we care about parlay math? I, the parlays are fun because you can turn $2 into 140 or yeah. whatever. But most of the time you turn $2 into $0. Yeah. So. Correct. You, you never hear about the uh, the losses – no, I find out, except for the almost losses, you still do. And guess what? Those are even less fun because you know what? You still don't see the money, and your boys are saying, well, congrats on the almost loss. Can I hold five? No, that five's <laughs> now gone. Uh, but with Nick Bolton being out, I yes. was a little a little concerned uh, because I thought, all right, they run the football a lot. Justin Field is good at running the football as well. Should I be a little concerned in this aspect? And Drew Tranquil said, Sterling, you're a buffoon. You've talked about me all offseason. You said that you were my favorite pickup. Yeah. You've talked about me saying I was going to be the game changer week one, and now you forget about me in this game? 
How dare you? I actually didn't forget it. I, I, I just said it was going to be important for him to, to step up, but I wanted to see him step up, and he did. Yeah. Because he was a spy a lot on Justin Fields. He gets downhill very quickly. He was top 15 pass coverage last year uh, in coverage as a PFF linebacker. Um, Drew Tranquil was outstanding. And by the way, this is why you bring him in. Yeah. In case something happens to Nick Bolton, you have your green dot and a guy who can play all three linebacker positions. Uh, Drew Tranquil, I have to give a huge hat tip to. 100%. I, um, I think the most important, most impressive part of that is the green dot aspect. And, and you... I'll put my cards out on the table of that. I, I value Nick Bolton as a football player, as a, a defensive leader, and what he does do mentally. I understand why Spags loves him. I, I hope that the Chiefs don't make him the highest-paid linebacker in football when his rookie contract is coming up. I'm a little bit worried about that, uh, just from a value proposition. He's a very good football player, but genuinely asking, even that with that being my my biased background, was there one time that we saw the Chiefs have a communication problem on defense? at least in any way that they had to pay for it at all? Because I don't think we did. And that's the thing. Again, not this isn't minimizing Nick Bolton necessarily. But, don't you dare. But I will I will, I will. throw hands over Nick Bolton. Right. I, I, I will actually throw hands over Nick Bolton. You know me. Yeah, when, when, they, when, they, when they offer him $14 million a year, where are your hands going to be? Uh, hand it, my hands out to Nick Bolton <laughs> saying, I, I, I have supported you, good sir. Uh, I'm a Mizzou alum as well. Uh, no, that's totally fair. But... That That's the thing that I think you could say Nick Bolton does the most exceptionally is the processing. And he just, dude just talks fast. We appreciate that around here. Dude thinks fast, talks fast, and knows where everything needs to be. He's so and, smart. And that, But that wasn't missed with Drew Tranquil out there. And that was the part that I was most nervous about was, are, is there going to be a coverage bust because somebody doesn't understand something? from Is, is Tranquil going to be able to, to adjust on the fly? And that just that was never a problem, which was really impressive. Uh, I do want to talk about the offensive line. Uh, but before I do that, with Blaine Gabbert just sticking with the Mizzou talk here. Sure. I know people were so upset. You worried about Vandy? No, not at all, man. Okay, all right. We, we, we can finish the show talking. No, I just wanted to check. College, but I no. just wanted to check if you were worried uh, about Vandy. I will be celebrating I will be celebrating hardcore when Mizzou moves to 5-0 and and they host LSU at home, considering going to that game. You should. Get a little rowdy. What, uh, what day is what, 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 what that? Uh, two weeks. Uh, what, 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 you mar- Dylan, why'd you mark that? Me saying I'm going to get a little rowdy? A little rowdy. Or? I mean, that's a... You, that's you're a not predict- on air right now. No, your mic's, your mic's uh, off. Somebody was you might need some audio. You're good. Yeah. We got you. Uh, would, you know, it's just a bold prediction. 5-0, and you're just... Saying it on a Tuesday, you're going to be five and zero next Monday. So I just yeah. had to mark it. Yeah, case, get a little rowdy. In case the fighting skip middle of the week. Saying yeah, I will. I will go ahead and say it. Mizzou's going to move to five and zero. I went to uh, I went to the KU game on Saturday. My cousin goes there like family weekend kind of thing. It was sure. fun, but now I kind of got the bug a little bit of like college football. Uh, I do want to go to a, I do want to go to a K State game. I do want to go to a Mizzou game in Mizzou. Yeah, let's do something. You want to swing through? Fun. I don't know. Let's talk about it. We got we got a whole tailgate. Let's turn to tailgate. Oh, we got we got oh, a whole man. bunch of folk going. I don't want to invite myself to your frat You're tailgate, invited. but like, hey, everyone can swing through. Let's talk off air. We'll, we'll, we'll keep. We'll, we'll I, talk off air. I, I'm going to keep that date open. Also, good for the local uh, college sports, KU, K State, and yeah, yeah, that's all. That's where I'm coming from. I wore a KU shirt at the KU game. 
I've got purple that I'll wear to K State. I'll, I'll make sure I'm blending in with the stripes if I end up uh, end up in Mizzou. Yeah, so I'm rooting for. Everyone. I want everyone to have a nice time and not get injured. My, my fiance went to K State, so I actually bought a lavender. Cause I like the lavender, anyways. Yeah, lavender's nice. So one of those nice lavender lavender haze. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're gonna go, to we sure are. Why not? Uh, a nice lavender haze quarter zip. So I rock that. When yeah, they're dude. not playing Mizzou, of course. Sure. That's, uh, and we had a, and we had a rule because we watched that game together, the Mizzou K State game. We used to play pool at a lot this, at this bar before it closed during. COVID, mm-hmm. um, we used to play pool a lot, and one of the signs that always made us laugh was, whoever wins, shake hands, and don't be a jack wagon. So whoever wins, we go, all right, whoever wins, we shake hands, and we say, don't be a jack wagon. So we had that, and then we cooled off for a little bit. I let you know, her, because Harrison Mavis with the 61, yeah. with the, the huge leg. Yeah, that thick kick. But uh, the thicker kicker. Yeah. So, uh, But back to... Sorry, I don't remember why we ended up there, Vandy. And Blaine Gabbard. I was saying there's two interceptions. Oh, yeah. The one was bad, but the second one was One was Rasheed Rice's fault. One was Rasheed Rice's fault, and frankly, who cares? Because if you are going to be upset by this, then you are actually actively looking for something to be upset about in this game. From the Gabbert perspective or from the Rice perspective? From the from the Gabbert perspective. Yeah, the totally. Rice perspective. Let's, let's talk about Rasheed Rice. Rasheed Rice should. had a really good game. I joked and said if you are going to have a uh, a ball that you're supposed to catch and you drop it into the arms of a defender, yeah. uh, that's the best time to do it. Do it up for you <laughs> with the back of throwing it to you. Yeah, for sure. But Rasheed Rice was getting open Yes, at will. And I get it. The Bears' defense isn't good, but no one thought they were going to be this bad. They retooled that defense, and maybe they do get a little better as the season goes on. There's a lot of new pieces there. But Rasheed Rice was getting open. Five receptions, seven targets. Went down on the one-yard line twice. twice Easily yeah. could have had two touchdowns. I mean, Rasheed Rice is really stepping up into the, I don't know if you want to say Juju Smith-Schuster role, but... There's a role that he's feeling pretty Sammy nicely. Sammy Watkins' name keeps coming around. The aforementioned Seth Kaiser. He said. He said my favorite. This is totally subjective. Like this is this is about the time in which I was a a, a young boy in Kansas City, falling in love with NFL football. So I'm going to go ahead and say now that with with full confidence. Last Seth, year, Seth, oh. Seth invoked the name of my favorite wide receiver in Chiefs history. Dwayne Bow. Dwayne Bow. That's absolutely right. Over Dwayne Bow. Um, that was definitely a fantasy football team name. I had the Killer Bees one year yeah. when they had it was Bo Baldwin and and Breston. Oh, Remember yeah. John Baldwin and Steve John Breston Baldwin, dude. joining Dwayne Bow for what was going to be a great unit. Tony, not Mo- so much. Tony Moayakis. Oh, I love that. Love that guy. Yeah. Um, but Rasheed Rice, whoever you want to comp him to, there's there's one thing that that he did consistently, and that he's done. Really, at least off and on over the first three weeks, and certainly none of the receivers had great days in week one. But but against Jacksonville and, and Chicago in particular, Rasheed Rice has looked increasingly more comfortable on the football field finding those little patches of grass. That little route, well, I think it was one of the two times he almost scored, just kind of running down the seam and turning towards Mahomes and kind of keeping his feet moving, kind of still continuing to float a little bit. Yeah. That is one of those soft spot kind of plays. You can use your body to create some separation behind you. You've got some grass around you. Mahomes is going to put it on you. You bring it in. It's unfortunate that Rice was was bookended by two bad plays in a, in a really good day. Sure, because I think that that incompletion was his fault on where he 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 slowed up a little too much for that space, and and that's also a tiny bit is going to be on Mahomes to adjust to the fact that, I think this is another Seth or Nate point, but to adjust to the fact that not every one of his pass catchers is Travis Kelsey sure. in terms of the knowledge of how all that works. But also, I would I put 90% on that on the pass catchers to get on page with Mahomes. But he did that throughout the rest of the game. 
one atrocious drop that pops off a shoulder pad, hits the freaking Norma Hunt memorial patch yeah. on his on his his collarbone or whatever, and pops up. Man, obviously you have to catch that. But on we do a little fact of fiction in the zone uh, with with yeah, me and, arm was it, just too strong. That's or, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I, but I said to, to Jason Lebo and Dylan, I said fact of fiction here: the Chiefs' best receiver at the end of this year is going to be Sky Moore. I mean, we all thought about it for a little bit, and I said I think it's fiction because I think it's going to be Rasheed Rice. I, mm. I think he has the highest ceiling for sure, and uh, he he looks comfortable. And it's really, really, really rare for a wide receiver, a rookie wide receiver, in his third NFL game with Andy Reid. To be on the field a lot, looking comfortable out there. That's huge. Well, and when I said when he was drafted, I understood a lot of people's concerns about the small school, SMU, second round. Do you want someone else? I mean, I, I still said I wanted Cedric Tillman because I loved Cedric Tillman at, uh, at uh-huh. Tennessee. Yeah, but what I did say is when I look back, even then, I said, look back at what he did in college. Yeah. It wasn't a projecting of potential. It was he was dominating year in and year out. You saw, like, what was a top three in yardage and yards per game that senior year is last year. Hmm. I don't care if it's a small school or not. And SMU's not, like, not that, that small. But, but the point is, if you do it at that level, odds are you can probably find ways to get that to translate to the NFL a lot quicker. Um Again, smaller level, but if you were dominating, that doesn't mean that you are sitting here saying, well, it looks like he could do this. You're not projecting because he has done it. And that's why I, I was so enthused when I look back when he was drafted. I go, you know what, though? I can't be mad at the production that they saw from him. He dominated. Though. That's what he, he did what he was supposed to do. The Chiefs did what they were supposed to do against the Bears. You don't talk about the lack of competition because yeah. they did what they were supposed to do. That's right. One guy I want to bring up to you, he was the villain, it felt like, all offseason. Justin Watson. Oh, yeah. It seems like every single game he's two, three catches, 50-plus yards. He has some big play that the Chiefs need, that that drop-in-the-bucket catch when Mahomes was just freaking doing Mahomes things. Did you see the end zone view of that? from beh- Like the view from behind? It was unreal, okay. man. It's unbelievable. It, he threw off his right foot. I don't even I don't know like if his was like a baseball, set. It looked like a, like a shortstop, you know, and you just— yes. It looked like a shortstop going to first base, but like from from about the pitcher's mound. Like he charged and then flicks it. It's unreal. <laughs> and then Justin Watson was just right there. Yeah. I just want to know your thoughts on Justin Watson because there's a reason why I said this Chiefs team needs him because it's like a roller coaster. You have to be this tall to ride. You can yeah. be better than Justin Watson to see the field. But that the height marker keeps going up because Justin Watson keeps showing up game in and game out. Yeah, I, I think I've been pretty consistent on this with Watson throughout like the back half of last year when it was becoming a, a conversation, and, and certainly all offseason. The contract he signs totally reasonable. What Justin Watson does, and I understand where people get hung up on this, his snap count is enormous compared to his target share. And MVS is in a similar boat where his he, he's going to be out there a ton of snaps and might only get car- targeted a couple times a game. But what Justin Watson can do, that Andy Reid trusts him to do, is, you know what, not to compare a, a white guy on offense to a white guy on defense, but he could do some Drew Tranquil bleep in terms of he could be here, 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 or here. You, here's What role do you need him to be in? Now, I think Drew Tranquil is better at all of that those roles than Justin sure. Watson is. Sure. But you can trust Justin Watson – to know the position, run the route, and and it's not. This has also become more uh, of an open secret or whatever in recent years. It, it's not. Hey, you go run a post, okay? Can you do that? Because because Justin Ross can. You draw a line in the sand, and he can run that <laughs> route for you. 
It's about reading the defense and knowing what that means for the rules that you have. If it's site adjustments or if it's just you, your option routes in real time. And I don't, I don't know where that cutoff is in terms of the difference between Justin Ross's talent and Justin Watson's talent and Justin Ross's comfort in the offense and Watson's comfort in the offense. But wherever that line is, wherever it exists in the spot that it does, Watson's going to be where he's supposed to be, which means having the impact on the defense that he's supposed to have in a given play. If you obviously can't just not cover Justin Watson, right? So if he's stressing you deep and, and forcing a safety to respect him a little bit, that now, now life's a little easier for Rice and Sky and, and Travis Kelsey. If you don't give Justin Watson that deep ball respect, Mahomes is going to go to him. That well, he runs a four four. The dude is fast. I mean, dude's fast. Dude is moving out there. So that's it. You you have to have a number four receiver essentially, mm. and, and again, to some extent, I. I think there's a little bit of that with MVS also that is sort of an interesting, it'll be an interesting evolution over the rest of this season. I've said it so often that, because I go back to, and people are probably saying, Sterling, you've said this 47 times, we'll yeah. get ready for 48. Last year, when MVS's snap count went down, Justin Watson's went up, and yep. when Watson's went down, MVS went up. They're very similar style players. Uh, I actually think Watson maybe does everything. Like, he, he does more than MVS, but I don't know if he's at, at, a, at a lesser level. Yeah. Like, I think you probably trust him more in some roles, but MVS, if you're saying, hey, we want you just to run deep, you're like, oh, I'm taking MVS. Because MVS has the height, and he has a little bit of speed on, on Justin Watson. They're also both good and willing blockers. And Very we never talk about that with wide receivers. And I understand why. It's like their tertiary role. But that is part of it. And so that's an, another reason that I've never been, like, hunting for MVS's salary cap hit, if you know, to, to let him go. The Chiefs don't need fewer NFL wide receivers right now. They they have a weird group that has some some similar skill sets in some spots and some unproven second round young guys and it's it's a weird scenario that's all revolving around Travis Kelsey, but I'm I'm pretty happy with what we've seen from that group. I also think it will look drastically different from the Chicago Bears secondary to the New York Jets secondary. Yeah. That's going to be an incredibly different test. Yeah, Sky Moore is going to have his hands full. He had a really yeah. good game in this one because I'm assuming you're going to see Sauce Gardner probably travel with uh, maybe MVS. Maybe I have no he, idea. He's a bigger bodied guy. That's it, fascinating. You know, we'll, we'll see how that ends up playing out. But Sky Moore had a really good game in this one. Uh, again, why I keep saying give the dude some time. Let's not give up on a guy after one year. Because because you see George Pickens, who, by the way, George Pickens has had a larger opportunity. Mm-hmm. Give Sky more the same opportunity that George Pickens has. Who knows how the numbers would have played out. But two guys I'm going to talk about before we go to break, Justin Ross and Kadarius Tony. Yep. Kadarius Tony hardly played at all. He cut his only target for negative one yards, right? It was just that little screen pass right yep. there. And then two just, snaps total, I yeah, think, right? And then Justin Ross played a decent amount in this game, right? But First target of the game. First target of the game. And then... Disappeared. And yeah. I, I, after that first target, I, I, I said, or I even tweeted, I said, is this a Justin Ross breakout game? They're starting him. He, he mm-hmm. is out there getting starters reps. Yeah. And then he somewhat disappeared. What do you take away from those two guys who were the talk all offseason of Tony and Justin Ross? That's right. And then what do you look at when you see the, uh, when it's all said and done, Sky Moore, Justin Watson, Rasheed Rice, and MVS? I, I think Tony is an easier one because of his toe, not his knee. But Tony's toe, not knee. Tony's knee seems okay. Tony's toe is a problem. But I, th- I think it, they, they activated him. 
maybe knowing that, hey, you, you can be the sixth wide receiver today, and actually seventh, I guess still sixth. They activated seven just to have a return man out there. Who looked electric. Who looks pretty good. Uh, but they still had to activate seven receivers, and they could have used Wanya Morris or Lucas Niang, and they were both healthy scratches. Just a fun little game of roster construction. Something fun to talk about, you know, closer I, I, to the Jets. You know what? We might say that next week or next time because I, I do find it fascinating because they might be looking back saying, maybe we should have had one of those guys on the roster. Well, and, and now they, they have them on the roster, just not active. Well, that's right. I'm, so, I'm on the, so now if Prince, 46. If, if Prince is a longer-term deal, all of that. So anyway, with with Tony, I think you can say, hey, we, probably going to be a lesser workload. We'll see how you feel, whatever. We can activate you and not have to force you on the field. The Chiefs never needed a super explosive Kadarius Tony like gadget player or whatever. So I think that's just, all right, we just you. We got you out there. We don't need to have you out here with Blaine Gabbert, whatever. I mean, or obviously earlier on with Mahomes, but light workload for him. I'm guessing that's a, a workload management thing. With Justin Ross, the first 15 are the scripted first 15 you know that's the ones that that they've got the game plan coming in this is how we're going to begin the game first pass apparently i think first read to to justin ross that was a a play for him i think maybe it's a little bit to see how the defense reacts when they go oh hold on justin ross is getting this target now or a a specific thing they want to put in the bears defense's head or maybe something they want to put in the head of teams 10 weeks from now and go, okay, so here's how they're using Justin Ross and how's that going to evolve over time. It's not really, I think Tony did this in week, uh, well, in week one, he was all over the place, just uh, not usefully. There've been a couple examples and I wish I could remember what they were, when they were specifically, but where, where a guy is in the first 15 plan and then as just sort of the quote unquote normal offense is doing its thing, he just sort of falls to the wayside I think that's I think that's a versatility thing again, in large part of saying I, I don't think they're ready to give Justin Ross the entirety of the responsibilities of the playbook. Yeah. They would rather have Justin Watson in that role. But if you say hey hey Justin uh, Ross, <laughs> say, hey Ross <laughs> Ross from Friends, Are you talking about John? I'm saying no, jo- John John is, Brown. John now oh boy, we're uh, Ronnie Brown. I don't know. Ronnie Staley's always injured. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe Staley. Is that a name? Is he a tackle? Are you, Joe Thomas? Of? I don't know. Thomas Thomas made, Jones. Thomas Jones has fun. the biggest biceps I've ever seen I think, still. I think he really might. Yeah. Who Mike Jones? Um, so so you can have that one, Mike McDaniel. Um, didn't he do the Mike better, Jones thing? Better like Josh. Earlier, uh, yeah. Well, his hey, is spelled. Josh McDaniels. McDaniels. I know yeah, what you yeah, mean. Yeah. I didn't take it personally. It, yeah. it offends me that Josh McDaniels is a fellow Josh. Yeah. I don't feel like he's earned it. Uh, I feel like he should have to have to change his name. He should have to go by Mick. Um, or Daniel. I think they wanted to get some work to John Ross there. Justin Ross. Damn it! <laughs> I think they wanted to get that target to him early on. Good song by Blink-182. And then, damn it! <laughs> and then as, no, as the game... Song. Then as the game goes on, they have the regulars in the rotation who are out there more. I don't think it's a bad sign or anything, but I do think it's noteworthy that, hey, we're going to – not that that was a gimmicky play by any means, but, hey, man, this here's where we're going to start you today, and then hopefully everyone stays healthy and we can let the rest of the number one sort of crew take it from there. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back as we try and figure out what's my age again.
29. That's my age. 29. I thought about it. I'm 28. Yeah. I'm 29 in December. When I went, I did that Monday Chief show at uh, Hollywood Casino. Yeah. The Chiefs Legend show. It's a lot of fun. Um, check it out on Sports Radio 810 Mondays from 6 to 7 p.m. But I was going, they always ask your age when you walk in, right? Because you have to be 21 to, to gamble. Sure. And she asked, she's like, what's your age? And I go, what's wait, my age I again? Go, I go, wait, what's my age again? Wait a minute. I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually been asked my age. Yeah. And I completely forgot. So I'm standing there like a buffoon. I'm like, 29. And I'm thinking... How sketchy does this have to look? I, you have to be taking your ID out as you're doing that. That's like, like a fake ID 20, moment. I don't like, know. Maybe you check. Yeah, you're like, it's like, a, it's like a fake ID almost moment where you're like, how old are you? Shoot, how old does it say on my Arizona yes. fake ID? Right, exactly. Which kids don't get an Arizona fake ID. I have no idea why I said Arizona. It's not like I would have had one of those. You want to admit anything? Don't drink until you're 21, kids. Exactly. I, have I told you I didn't? How about that? Yeah. How about how square I am? Yeah. Well, it's hit to be square. That sounds like a reference that I didn't get. Ah, song. Cool. Oh, really? From what? Yeah. Song, hit to be square. Yeah. Who's it by? Uh, I want it. Oh, who's the band in um, American Psycho that he loves? Um, oh, American. Huey Lewis in the News. Oh, American Beauty, American Psycho, the Fall Boy album? We're done. We're She's not doing an American we're Beauty. Not, we're not dun, doing dun, this game. Dun, dun, dun. I'm American Psycho. Yeah, I know. American beauty. Your voice is... I'm an American. Looks like the Broncos American right now. Uh, Give them a 70 spot. Talk about some American psychos. <laughs> Mike McDaniel. Hello, sir. Okay. I don't know how much worse it can get for the Broncos. Don't know how much worse it can get for the Bears. Uh-huh. Which team is in a worse spot? I was going to tell you, but I got a hot take. Throw the Jets in there also, just because. Go. Well, so I, I, here's here's my clarifying question. Because I think there are different answers. I think. Do you want to talk about which organization is in the worst spot currently, or which fan base is the most down bad? Oh, Jets are down bad the most because <sighs> yeah, because they 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 had Super Bowl aspirations and now they have. Oh bleep! Let's uh let's win five or six games. Let me make an argument for our friends in Colorado. Because last year, they had a savior. Russell Wilson was coming to Denver to turn the Broncos franchise around. Broncos country, let's ride. That thing imploded relatively quickly. Not oh, this yeah. quick. Not this quickly. I think they, they start 2-1 and one or something. No, because remember Nathaniel Hackett decided to try and kick a field goal. They won a they you look and see it. how their season started. They won a, they won one of their first three games as memory serves. <laughs> it wasn't this bad. You know, this you, fast. you know how how big of a shot that is going. They probably won one of their first three games last year. I love that that's just uh not a shot. It just um it's just true. It's just true. It's just true. Yeah. So, whatever however it started last year. We are now have just completed week three. They did start two and one. They started two and one. They lost the first game to Seattle, then won against Houston, beat Houston, beat San Fran. They beat San Francisco in week three. Lost to the Raiders, lost to the Colts. It lost fell apart. The, yeah, it was bad after but that. But so, but they they had one bad week. But really, after three weeks, the Broncos bleeped. So they have a savior. Savior falls apart. This year, it's a new savior, and I, I say this having just like followed a decent number of Broncos people on Twitter. New savior comes in. He's going to save your old savior and your franchise. 
And after week three, he's picking fights with reporters, saying, where's the question? Because it's hard to say, Sean, you just got your ass thumped so hard that it it, it should have, should have been an NFL record, except for Mike McDaniel, who his opening press conference is the, the first time as the head coach of the Dolphins, if you didn't see him as, a, as the OC in, in San Francisco, you would have thought they were pulling a prank. But the team who tampered with you illegally got cost a first-round pick, got a 70-burger put up against you by a former Denver Broncos ball boy. So I guess what I'm asking, Sean Payton, is how does that feel? And how did that happen? And he's pissed. He doesn't want to answer that question because he came in and talked mad bleep immediately. One of the worst coaching jobs of all time (laughs) the year before. That's my favorite thing. Talk bleep, get hit. He talked ad nauseum about how a the worst coaching performance he had ever seen, how they were a bunch of, uh, they they were in over their head. Nathaniel Hackett's still getting shots taken at him, even though he's now with the New York Jets. Yep. Uh, again, it should be the New Jersey Jets, but I'm going to die on this hill. That's fair. Um, and he just perpe- he's just perplexed about how anyone have any questions about how poor of a job he has done. But luckily, you know, let's be real, Broncos fans, it's not like you gave up draft capital to get a head coach. It's not like you gave all this obscene money to a quarterback who's beyond washed up. And it's not like said head coach came in and said, you know what, it was all the coaching. Russell Wilson didn't fall off that bad. No chance. No chance any of that happened. No chance you got a 70-burger put on you by a former ball boy of said organization. I don't get it. I... No one was allowed to wear bucket hats. I thought I fixed it. Sean Payton, I've said time and time again, is closer to Mike McCarthy than he is to Bill Belichick. But quite frankly, that's disrespectful to Mike McCarthy. (laughs) At some point, come on, Sean. At some point, we're going to sit here and say, well, you know what? Maybe he had a Hall of Fame quarterback for his entire career. Maybe that played a factor. Congrats on winning your one Super Bowl. Your one now calling to the stand, Dylan Michaels. Dylan? Uh, I was bowing out of that for a reason, if anyone was wondering why I was so quiet back here. The uh, Sean Payton apologist is very quiet, so I will not be commenting or taking any stands. Wow. Sean Payton's done I rest my right? Sean, <laughs> Sean Payton's done the defense this rest. year. You think he's retiring? Oh, dude. You think you, he faces the Chiefs? <laughs> Here's the hill I will Twice? die Twice? Two more times? He would be exponentially better and more well thought of if he had just waited one season and stayed at Fox and then taken Brandon Staley's job next year. Oh, Dylan. Oh, I love that take. Now here's my that's my spin zone. Oh, but I love but you're right. It's so right though. It's so right. Why did I mean, I guess the Walmart family probably pays you well. Uh, probably better than the you know, probably Thanos family. That is probably true. I guess that's probably true. But dude, like, what's the rush if if you could if you could wait out Justin Herbert? Oh, it's such a good call. Well, you know, he thought that the coaching job of the Broncos was the issue as was the issue last year, and I will say the Broncos still the same issue. <laughs> it's coaching <laughs> and quarterbacking. To be fair, and quarterbacking. To be fair, oh, dude, it, Spence it, Joseph is having the time of his life out there. Oh, dude, yeah, what man. are we doing? It's just hilarious. What are we doing? I, the, the, the lack of awareness from Sean Payton is just astounding. I have nothing to do with Sean want, Payton I want until coaches he came to talk. in. And, oh, I do too. I want them to say interesting things. But but you got to back it up. Like Dion, yeah. when he got smacked by Oregon, what did he say? That's on us. That's on me. I got to be better. There's no excuse. Like Dion owned up. It yeah. wasn't a situation of of he's pointing fingers or hiding. And he also, I don't 
to my knowledge, didn't really call out the previous coaching staff at Colorado. Maybe he did. I know he called out a lot of the, like the players. Yeah, so they, so like, the players are doing something different. Like, yeah. the, but Sean Payton, this is the NFL, man. You you get head coaching jobs typically, not always. There's some really bad head coaches that we have seen, obviously. I think Urban Meyer is the first one that comes to mind. That was an absolute debacle. <sighs> and Nate Hackett. Uh, but 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 still. But Sean can't say it. We can. Exactly. Other, uh, we can, you don't yes, say that. There are certain fraternity. things like Justin Fields blaming the coaching staff yeah. and then all of a sudden deciding to blame the media saying, I would never blame anyone else besides myself. And we're just sitting here going, hey, Justin, you know, five minutes before when you were talking about the coaching staff. We still have well, that audio. We still have that audio. It wasn't just a race because you thought it was. or It's tough because, again, I, I, I get frustrated by coaches and quarterbacks saying nothing. And when they say something really, really uh, filled with vibrato – all of a sudden, it's like, hey, guys, like, come on, what are you doing here? But I, I feel like there is room to be like, hey, now that – and none of this is about what Sean Payton said as an analyst, by the way. When he when he was on Fox or whatever, you're an analyst. You need to analyze. You need to 100%. say stuff. That's cool. But when you are the head coach of the Broncos, it's, it's not even that I think he's a bad person because he bleeped on Nathaniel Hackett. I think – that's a pretty wild thing to say right out of the gate because that pressure is going to sit on your own shoulders. And so if your shoulders buckle, you're going to have to deal with that. And that that's all. I, coaches who are built for that should talk like that. Correct. Mike McDaniel should talk his bleep at, at his leisure. And if it falls down on you, you're going to get crushed by it. you got to dig your way back out again. Andy Reid does not want that. He, he is a part of that coaching fraternity to such an extent that it's been building up around him over over the, the decades of time in the NFL. But if, if you're going to be that guy, be that guy. But, but You're but not don't, that guy, pal. But you you might not be that guy. <laughs> and that's what it comes down to, quite frankly, is if you came out 3-0, then you're sitting here talking about, okay, yeah, Sean Payton is him. He's that dude. He ain't that dude. Okay, you're looking at it, and I'm taking a look-see right now. They have the, what, third-worst point differential in the NFL through three games. Uh, the Broncos, minus 53. They are the Bears worse? Uh, the Bears are worse at minus 59, and the Giants at minus 55 since they gave 40 to 0. Wow. That first okay. Game. So, they got, the Giants got blown out 40 to 0, and they were 10 points closer to winning that game than the Broncos were against the Dolphins. <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. So, yeah, Sean, my question to you is, how do you think you have the absolute audacity to talk smack on the previous regime, and then you get asked a question, and you decide to curl up into a ball? That's that's the, and, and to get, like, offended by the idea, the gall to ask this question. Yeah, yeah. Impressive. Yeah, it really Absolutely is. impressive. Uh, taking just a look around the NFL right now, um, you see the 0-3 Vikings, the 0-3 Bears, the 0-3 Panthers, and the 0-3 Broncos. One team stands out to me, and that is yep. the Vikings. Vikings, I think, are actually a decent team. What's really funny is every single one-score game last year went their way. Every single one-score game this year has gone against them. Yep. They could easily be 3-0 and right now. I don't know if you watched that game against the Chargers. That was a really uh, really fun game. Mm-hmm. There was some, obviously some miscues in that game. But, again, it, it left me thinking, what is this Chargers team? Because mm-hmm. let's, let's look at the AFC West. Right? I think the Vikings will actually bounce back. That's not a very good division. The NFC as well. Last year they were, like, the worst, whatever, 8-0 team in history. And this year they're going to be the, the, the best. best 0-5 team or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, but 
from the AFC West perspective, the Chargers, they they needed that game. I don't want to say they had to have it because I think that's the most over one of the most overused tropes in sports is it's a must win game. I'm like, dog, there's fourteen more games left. It's not a must win game until you actually have to win said game. But they moved to one. They were one close to that territory they're, though. They're, for for week three. They were close, but Keenan Allen going over two hundred yards had a nice forty nine yard touchdown pass as well. But they also <laughs> lose Mike Williams for the season. Yeah, huge. That was a huge loss for the Chargers and my fantasy football team. God. Um, this is when nobody cares. Yeah, this is when no one cares. But but again, I feel for Mike Williams because he yeah. fought through a back injury, yep. spinal, like mm-hmm. he's Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. you know. But they moved to one and two. What was your take on the Chargers in general? Where do they go from here? I I still don't see a path for them to <sighs> contend. Is a difficult word. This is something we've talked about a bunch, and I I'm I'm tempted to cut my AFC list of contenders at three. After Kansas City, Miami, and Buffalo. I, I think that's a boarding too early on on Baltimore. I think Cincinnati is just in a confused place right now with Burroughs calf. And did I leave somebody out other than I wanted to come back around to the Chargers? I think I, I think I've mentioned the correct number of teams. Uh, I think CJ six. Stroud looks pretty good. He looks pretty good, but they're not winning this year. <laughs> Tank Dell, um, baby. CJ Stroud absolutely looks legitimately like excellent, and, and that's really fun. Um, but KC, Miami, Buffalo, Gap. Baltimore, Cincinnati, and then I guess Jacksonville is the team that I kind of relegated after this week. Not after the Chiefs game, yeah, yeah. but after week three. I think you can almost make the case. Hear me out. Let, let me get your thoughts. You can push back. Slight case for Cleveland in that second group. Yeah, I just... Slight case. I, 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 didn't get, I didn't is, see much last week. They, they've got a quarterback who's incredibly expensive and incredibly bad right now. Yeah, but I hear you. The defense, though, is... Whew. The defense is great. The the Browns and Jets have similar arguments to me, and if Trevor Simeon can outplay Deshaun Watson, which he might, I think the Jets might take the Browns spot in in my little version of that. But I, I hear you. But if we're talking about like a team that you can see hoisting a Lombardi Trophy, you can pr- probably make an argument still for six or seven in the AFC. But I think there are three or four that are a cut above Baltimore's right on that line for me. Yeah. I was really excited about Brandon Staley his first year or so. And this isn't about him going for it on fourth and one in their own territory to try to ice the game, because I understood the logic of it. Sure. Even though analytically minded Josh Briscoe over here, I'm not sure I would have had the guts. Okay, Ricky Henderson, you talking in third person now? Uh, just for that one instance. Okay. Josh will not do that very often. Josh did it a few times, just for fun, just, just, just as a little treat for Josh. I'm not sure I would have had the guts to go for it there, because you know exactly what's happening if you don't get it. The the, But I don't hate it. The problem is that's not who Brandon Staley's been the last couple of years. He, he has re- receded back into his shell, and way, way, way more importantly in the Brandon Staley conversation, defense stinks. The defense has stunk the whole time. You were here to be a defensive guru. You spent a lot of money on defense, J.C. Jackson notwithstanding, because you could blame that on the GM or whatever, sure. but that's a catastrophe. Yeah. Your defense has stunk the whole time. And your window of Justin Herbert on a rookie contract is closed. Or at least, like, we'll close at the end of this year, essentially. I don't know what his cap hit is next year, but it's coming. You squander that. When you squander that at the NFL level, you don't get to do it again. You certainly don't get to keep, to, to, to keep doing it with the same team. So I don't have any any voice to defend Brandon Staley at this point. I I don't know what what his defensive acumen really is. And the part that I thought made him stand out from other NFL head coaches, he's largely put behind him now. So I just, uh, now now with, with them being perpetually banged up, I don't know what the plan is for Austin Eckler, I think Justin Herbert's great. I think Keenan Allen is great. Keenan Allen's probably going to miss some time also, just, just based off of history, despite being an absolute 
animal out there, really, like a treat to watch. I I just think that team that that team needs a soft reboot a little bit. Obviously, your quarterback is your quarterback, but there are so many things that I just feel like they're just they were not quite constructed quite right, and they don't have the right guy at the top. It's which is sort of depressing because they have so much talent. If you're Chiefs fan, who cares? But I'm I'm a little sad about it. Well, let's not be sad. Yeah, because we're gonna take a quick break. Okay, and we're gonna be glad, and we might play a little of this or that after the set. A little sad or glad. A little sad or glad. Quick break. Come back right after this. All right, this or that with Josh Briscoe. Yeah. Who gets canned first? Josh McDaniels or Brandon Staley? I think it's Staley. I There was a report, I think it might have been like Bill Plaschke or somebody. Somebody on Around the Horn was talking about the Raiders not having the money to fire Josh McDaniels and hire a new coach. <laughs> so I think that could keep going. Uh, is Josh, Mc, uh, Josh McDaniels the first coach fired then? Not Josh no. McDaniels. I is mean, Staley? Uh, Staley, the first coach fired. Then yeah. I don't. I don't know because I don't know if there's going to be a solution in house for them. Maybe they let Kellen Moore be the interim. That could be kind of interesting. Yeah. First year for him though. But yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and still say yes. But I haven't given that a ton of thought to be honest. Small sample size. List these three quarterbacks who has the best NFL career: C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson. You small sample size. Stroud, Richardson, Young. That's the correct answer. Carolina's problems are not Bryce Young's fault. That's the one thing I want to say. He had no one to throw the football to. So I, I'm not out on Bryce Young yet, but Stroud looked great, and Richardson's a lot of fun. Does the NFL and the refs have any idea what a actual legal formation is, or is it just, hey, we see Jawan Taylor, he's on the field, so let's call him whilst you look around the NFL. And I saw one clip, and it was legit just the center on the yep. ball. Yep. And those Bengals last night, the Bengals, right? and the other four dudes. Like, Orlando Brown Jr. is a Boeing 747 away from the center, but you know what? That's fine. They know what it looks like. They just uh, only care to enforce it against 74 Red. Uh, do the Ravens win the AFC North? Yes. Or... Oh. Yes, I think they do. When do the Bengals figure the offense out? When Burrow gets healthy. I think it's next week. Believe it or not, I they, they found someone with Jamar Chase and yeah. T. Higgins, in the, word, in the words of Joe Namath, was struggling. Yes, that's So true. I think the offense would have looked, looked a lot better if T. Higgins actually you know, caught the rock. Burrow's got to be able to move in the pocket. Uh, is Tua Tugavaloa the best quarterback for the Miami Dolphins? Not sitting, He's the most talented quarterback in the NFL. We know that. It's not Mahomes or Josh Is he Young. like the best choice The best for... fit for the Miami Dolphins. I, not really. I don't know. He's, he's doing a fantastic job. I think they'd be fun with Mahomes, too. Who wins the AFC East? Miami. Wow. Over the Bills already. Yeah. I'm going to say it. I'm going to try it. It sounds good. Who wins the AFC South right now? That dumpster fire. I think Jacksonville probably figures it out. Uh, and believe go. it or not, I like the Chiefs in the AFC West. Huh. Surprise. Surprise. 